2: Good Goodmorrow, everyone. This is the other side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We are now an hour into Tuesday. How did your Monday work out? I'll tell you, I, uh, I was great to be here yesterday, and we were talking a little bit about uh, the, uh, the Super Bowl, the game itself, the commercials, and some of the different aspects of it. But I brought up an idea, and uh, see, this is where sometimes I'm amazed at how forward-thinking I actually am. Because I brought up an idea, kind of just on a whim, and I brought it up before, and I'm not the first person to think of this. A lot of other people have mentioned this over the years. But what I said was, um, there's no reason, since we have this this fake holiday of presidency, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to President Lincoln or President Washington or any presidents that were born in the month of February, But you had – yesterday, for instance, was Valentine's Day, which a lot of the country celebrates, and it was the day after the Super Bowl, which a lot of company – which a lot of people celebrate. And President's Day, nobody's doing anything for President's Day. Now, I don't think you'll ever get rid of it because you'll have – you have municipal unions, you have government unions all over the country that have bargained for that as one of the holidays in their contract – And a lot of people in the corporate environment have already established that as part of their calendar. So what I said was every year, just make President's Day the day after the Super Bowl so everybody can have off for the Super Bowl. So I said that just because who likes getting up after a night of watching football, eating wings and guacamole and partying? But. There was an article out today or yesterday in Axios showing that there is actually some statistical relevance to my whim. Super Bowl Monday, the day after the Super Bowl, is one of the least productive workdays of the entire year. I can't imagine what yesterday would have been like Super Bowl Valentine's Day, creating that double whammy of distraction. Listen to some of these numbers here. Challenger Gray and Christmas. Boy, how'd you like that for the name of a a firm? Challenger Gray and Christmas. So Challenger Gray and Christmas, the outplacement firm, estimates that the United States could lose, ready for this, $3.5 billion in productivity from people skipping work yesterday. And if you count employees who show up, but spend a couple of hours gabbing about the game, about the the Chevy commercial, about the halftime show, whatever. If you include the lost productivity with people chatting, it's six and a half billion dollars. Think of that—six and a half billion dollars in lost productivity in the American economy. That is crazy. So over the years, you've had these scattered pushes to make Super Bowl Monday a national holiday. In Cincinnati, I didn't know this until until yesterday, it, the Cincinnati public schools and other Cincinnati area districts, they canceled school yesterday. Now, this was a decision made weeks before the actual game. Uh, once it looked like the Bengals were going to be in it, they made that decision to cancel school. 39%. This is a very statistical... Statistically significant number. 39% of U.S. workers believe that Super Bowl Monday should be a national holiday. So new federal holidays are extremely rare. And I don't see them creating a new federal holiday to coincide with a sporting event. A sporting event. But just about everyone celebrates Halloween and Valentine's Day. But there's no federal holiday for that. People still show up for work. I say... There ought to be some coordination between the National Football League, the TV networks, and the holiday people. And just make President's Day the day after the Super Bowl. Or automatically, you know, it's probably easier for the league to adjust their calendar to what the existing holiday calendar is. Just simply make... Super Bowl Sunday, always the Sunday before President's Day. The other solution, and this was talked about as well, is they could just make Super Bowl on uh, Saturday so that you didn't have to deal with that. But I'm curious what you think of that. 800 848 9222, that's 800 848 WABC, of my idea to make Super Bowl Sunday always as a matter of course. As a matter of standard practice, every year, Super Bowl Sunday ought to be the Sunday before President's Day. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Tell me what you think. Uh, or if you think it should just be on Saturday. Uh, I don't think they want to do that because evidently Sunday is a much bigger day for TV viewership. So I don't know that you'd get the networks to budge on that. But I do think that is interesting. 800 848 if you want to comment on that. Coming up in about 20 minutes, I am very excited to be able to talk to my friend Richard Bay. A lot of you may remember Richard Bay from his time on this program. He was the co-host of The Buzz with Steve Malzberg. He co-hosted a program with Monica Crowley for a time. He did his own show on Saturdays, which was terrific. I loved that show. And he uh, did a late night show on WABC for a time. Before that, he was on Channel Nine. He's been uh, on TV in Philadelphia. He's been all over. He's been on WWRL. He's been all over radio, all over TV for literally decades. And I'm proud to count him as a friend. And he's launched a new podcast. So I, I've I've watched all three episodes on YouTube, and uh, I uh, thought I'd invite him on to chat about why he's doing this podcast. And what he hopes to accomplish with it. Meantime, do you remember that film, Meet the Meet the Parents, right? Uh, meet the Parents and the sequels, uh, Meet the Fockers and Little Fockers. Very funny film, especially the first couple. You have Robert De Niro in there, Ben Stiller, Blythe Danner, and uh, it's a really—I mean, the first one or two I thought were very funny. Dustin Hoffman is in the uh, the sequel, Meet the Fockers, with Barbara, Barbara Streisand. They're, they're cute. I mean, I, again, is it, uh, is it Casablanca? Of course not. But if you're looking for you know a couple of hours of a fun comedy film, I think Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers certainly fits in that vein. Now there is a scene in Meet the Fockers where Ben Stiller inter- is interacting with, I believe, his wife or his fiance's niece and he oh it's nephew okay so he so you you're familiar with this film you're you're a fan of this film Matt Blaze? this would be a classic a classic a new classic a new classic all right okay um well, anyway so he's interacting with his his fiance's nephew and uh the, the kid doesn't talk yet he's probably i'd say about 10 months old maybe a year old do you do you know the age of this child uh, in the movie
3: yeah, it's something about like what
4: you yeah, just said okay, it's somewhere right. in that room. So
2: he's pre-verbal, but he's starting to do. Uh, starting to babble and stuff. He's starting to learn communications. And Ben Stiller tries to talk with him in baby talk. Now, this kid's grandfather is Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro's not having it.
4: Right,
5: right, right. Mm. Don't infantilize him. Talk to him like an adult. Muskrat. Huh?
6: Muskrat, Jack.
5: All right. (laughs) Just try to understand. He's a little person. His Mm -hmm. communication skills aren't verbal yet, but he understands. Observe. L.J., are you hungry?
2: So then Robert De Niro proceeds to talk with him like an adult. Now, whenever I have talked with children um, of any age, I always talk to them like they're an adult because... I've always found that annoying when you make those sort of weird sounds like Ben Stiller is making when you do what they call baby talk or as w- what Robert De Niro refers to him as infantilizing conversation with a child. I, I have found myself as the father of a two and a half month old, though, sometimes I end up doing um, I, I wouldn't say I do baby talk the way Ben Stiller was doing it, but I would uh, speak not in a normal conversational manner to my infant son like I'm speaking right now, but I would raise and lower my voice at weird times because you know you 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 try to make sounds that make the child and again maybe a two month old is different than a ten month old you try to make sounds that make a child react uh, make them smile, make them look at you, make them do sorts of things and when you uh, when you when you speak in a bizarre intonation, the kind of intonation that you'd never use if you were speaking to an adult, a lot of times you do get a reaction. At least that's my experience. So I never thought that I would be a baby talk parent, but I do find myself using baby talk from time to time. That's why I was so interested in this article on uh, boardpanda.com, and I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page so you could read about the, the whole discussion That's uh, boardpanda.com about a mom who wonders if this is okay. And uh, there's a mom who wonders if she overreacted for being mad at her sister who doesn't use baby talk with her three-year-old. And so one mom, essentially, this is the Reader's Digest version. You could read the whole article online if you want to. One mom got annoyed that her sister doesn't use baby talk When she talks with her niece, what bugged her the most was that she did that with her cats. She asked the Internet if she was wrong for getting mad at her sister and Reddit's verdict was that she had no right to demand such a thing and should apologize for being ridiculous. So this mother went to the Internet to find out if she was unreasonable to get mad at her sister for not using baby talk with. So I'm curious what you do and I'm curious what you've done. And I'm curious if you are like Robert De Niro and this mom, uh, well, the sister of the mom that went to the Internet, and you don't use baby talk, or if you're more like Ben Stiller and you do use baby talk. So this this case of this mom that's gotten so much attention on the Internet, the original poster, we don't have her name, I don't believe, is a 28-year-old mother who has an older sister who comes to look after her daughter who's about three years old from time to time. She tries not to call her if she has any other options, as the sister isn't really a child person, but she knows she can trust her as she still loves her niece. So you would think that this is very considerate of the mom to not default to a family member who's not good with kids to take care of her daughter, but she has a concern. The concern is her refusal to talk baby talk. What do you think? 80848 WABC. I think, I don't know. Uh, on the one hand, I'm, I have mixed feelings, uh, because look, I don't think if you speak baby talk to a child the way Ben Stiller was there, that he's going to have a diff- or she's going to have a difficult time learning English or learning how to speak properly. You're certainly going to absorb enough uh, conversation in order to inculcate yourself in the vernacular of whatever community that you're in but i do get it it is just annoying to hear guys like ben stiller go on and on making sounding almost like a an out of whack uh that you know a, a television set whose tv antenna is out of whack tell me what you think on that super bowl holiday make it monday the same as presidents day what say you 80848 wabc and Baby Talk, yes or no, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with John in Riverdale. Hello, John.
7: Hi, Frank. How are you?
2: Well, I uh, I guess there's room for debate about that.
7: Okay. I'll respond to both of your uh, topics. I'm the father of four. I have four young adults. And I recall very vividly that my 33-year-old son... He was just born the other day, by the way. It seems like, but uh, he's now 33. That when he was born at St. Joseph's Hospital and Medical Center in Patterson, New Jersey, that he was bawling his eyes out for about an hour before the nurses could take care of him. They let me go into the uh, room where the uh, he's laying in the uh, you know in the incubator. Well, I mean, not you know the thing where you keep the baby, and I talked to him and he immediately quieted down. I talked to him in a regular way because he recognized my voice from when I used to talk to him through, the, you know, in the stomach where in, in in the womb. And uh that that I'll never forget that. He calmed right down and he went to sleep. So I was happy that I did that and I talked to him in a regular way. That's one. That's one topic.
2: So, what, does that mean you're an advocate against baby talk? Is that what you're saying?
7: I'm an advocate of a combination. Okay. All I think right. mostly I, I'd say about two thirds regular talk, one third baby talk.
2: Two thirds to one third. Okay. And did you? Is that the formula that you followed? Two thirds regular talk, one third baby talk.
7: Yep. For all four. Okay. I have three sons and one daughter. I did the same for all four. Okay. Well,
2: hey, it sounds like they're all, they're all well-adjusted uh, adults.
7: Yeah. They're all, they're all doing well today. They're all, uh, you know, they're in a good place in life. They're ranging in age from 33 down to 26. Wonderful. So all right. I, it worked for all me. Right.
2: Uh, give me yeah, your thoughts day. on uh, Super Bowl Monday.
7: Okay. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll state a fact first. Within about three years... There is going to be a week eighteen in the NFL regular season. That's what Roger Goodell wants to put in. Once there's a week eighteen, Super Bowl Sunday will fall on President's Day weekend, and there will be an automatic holiday on Monday following the Super Bowl.
2: Always, always. Once it's an eighteen-week season, it'll there'll always be it'll always be on um, President's Day.
7: I believe so. Uh, The calendar changes every year. By law, President's Day is the third Monday, February. So you have to look at, you know, calendar year by year. But once they add that 18th week for regular season, Super Bowl Sunday will fall on the Sunday before President's Day. And there's going to be an automatic, for, for not everybody, for most people, there's going to be an automatic day off. So it's just a matter of time before...
2: Uh, well, good. I, you know, I hope that's the case. Uh, and uh, I hope that, uh, that they make that standard practice uh, when it, once there is an 18-week season or even before. Uh, I don't see any reason why they couldn't implement that even uh, even sooner than that. But good points both, John. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc We have wide open phones if you want to comment on either of those two topics. Before we get to the great Richard Bay uh, to talk with, about his new podcast which I've been enjoying very much actually you could check it out on YouTube at Richard Bay talk we'll tell you all about it now you can find it and if you're not familiar with Richard Bay you're in for a treat we'll get his we'll pick his brain on what's in the news and uh what uh you know why he's embarking on this new endeavor eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 we have actually added I think a couple of extra phone lines which is nice uh because uh, a lot of times it it becomes a situation where the phone lines just get jammed I think we have two new Listener phone lines now, so uh, that will be good for you. If you want to take advantage, take them out for a whirl, 800 We are also on Twitter, where you can find me, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Or you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Coming up next hour, I will read your best and worst emails on the radio, Uh, so you can email me frank.morano at wabcradio.com. By the way, if you email me, I would like you to operate under the assumption that unless you uh, state to specifically not read your email on the radio, anything you send me is potential fodder for being read on the radio because there have been a number of instances of people emailing me and saying, I can't believe you would read my email on the radio. Okay, well, it's a radio show, so that's what we do. If you email me, there's a better than average chance that uh, that that email will be read on the radio. And we're on Facebook as well. Uh, Facebook.com/slash/MoranoFan. If you like the page, you will get an invite to join the uh, Facebook group, which is more more vibrant than ever. Thanks largely thanks largely to the work of people like Ellen Metzger. Who he? She does what I wish everybody would do. She goes through the whole show, right, with a brief summary of exactly what we do on each segment, and then she gives her opinion on that segment, and it provides such a great jumping-off point to conversation. I wish everybody would do that. So often um, somebody just makes a random remark about something that happened on the show, and then people are left wondering, what is that person talking about? Oh, I didn't hear that. Well, what is that person talking about? So, um, I really appreciate the work of people like Ellen, people like John Scandalios, and uh, and others who are who give some context to their thoughts as well. Nancy Condon, one as well. Uh, that's all in the Morano Radio Fans and Haters Facebook group. You can just go on Facebook, search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Uh,
7: hey Frank. Um, I think uh, about the little kid thing. I don't like to talk down to kids. You know what I mean? Like they they sense that, and the baby talk, that's like way talking down to kids. You know, like they sense what you're saying. Way, like, I mean, and I think they'll they'll learn to talk, um, faster if you really if you speak, you know, not like that, adults,
4: I mean, yeah, yeah. Them, that's you know? like, that's always
2: what I medium. That's always what yeah. I thought. Um, but mm-hmm. then and 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 that's what always I planned to do with my child. And then I was surprised. Mm-hmm. That, um, that I found myself raising the pitch of my voice at <laughs> you odd times. He's your
7: son. He's your, he's your own son. So. Right, right, right.
2: Well, <laughs> the reason I do that is because he reacts when you do that and you mm-hmm. try yeah, and course, get they, some they sort of a reaction. Vibes, yep. Whereas if you mm-hmm. speak in a more monotone uh, manner, he doesn't really react mm-hmm. to that generally.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they pick up your vibe. So you don't have to be monotone, but just, you know, they sense they what you're saying. It's, uh, especially as they get older, you know? Like, kids don't like that. I mean, not, it depends how you, how you do it, you know? I'll but tell you. anyway, that was it. Well, thanks for the uh, call, Eric. Very,
2: very thoughtful. When I was a child, and obviously I don't remember when I was a baby, but from, like, four years old on, I never liked being talked down to. I never liked being talked down to as, as a, a child. I, I never, like, sometimes they'd have specials on TV geared towards explaining complicated news issues to children. I hated that. I still hate that. I found it insulting to my intelligence, even as a five year old. No, talk to me like I can understand what you're saying, because I can understand what you're saying. And if there's stuff I have questions about, even as a five year old, I'll ask it. you. Know, you don't have to talk to me as if I can't make out what you're saying. So uh, that's uh, that is that. All right. Um, coming up a little bit later. Do you remember the automat? So the automat was everywhere in New York and everywhere in Philadelphia. And I was talking with Dominic Carter, and I was surprised. Maybe they weren't in the Bronx. Maybe it was more of a Manhattan thing. Uh, but I was surprised that Dominic had never been to an automat. So I don't think I was ever in an automat either. I think I might have been once when I was a child. I think my mother might have taken me when uh, they were uh, when she was on jury duty one time. But I, I could be mistaken. It's funny. How your brain plays tricks on you with what you with what you remember and what you what people tell you. So I don't remember if she did take me. I barely remember it. But um, the automat was everywhere in Philadelphia and New York, and there was just this phenomenal documentary that I saw yesterday. And we I invited the director of this documentary on to talk about it. It's really well done, and you know me, I am a sucker for recent nostalgia. And The Automat is not just recent nostalgia because they go all the way back to 1902, which I didn't realize. I got a whole education about The Automat by watching this film. And we're going to invite the director on uh, to talk about what motivated her to make the film and you know what she learned in the film. Uh, Mel Brooks, my all-time favorite, is in it. So uh, he's terrific in this documentary. It's worth seeing the documentary just for him. All right. Well, we'll take a break. Talk to Richard Bay in just a moment. I got an email here from, I got actually several emails who are directing me towards research which shows evidence that some form of baby talk is good for the development of children's speech. So that is interesting. Very interesting. So, all right, uh, we'll talk with Richard Bay next. We'll talk to him about what's happening in the world of radio, politics, news, public affairs and why he has now chosen to add podcaster to his substantial resume. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead.
4: I told you which doctor I, I was, was in, love in love with you. I told the doctor I was in love with you.
2: This is and The man, Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, I have had the good fortune over the course of the last couple of decades, quite frankly, of getting to meet a lot of people that I really enjoyed listening to on the radio or watching on television. But there have been a few occasions where I've actually gotten to befriend people that I was always a fan of and that certainly applies to our next guest. Uh, I am so in awe of our next guest because not only is he a good friend, but he has some he's someone who is seemingly able to connect with people in every form of communication. He is a Yale trained Actor, a phenomenal actor who I've seen perform on stage and is incredibly moving, whether he's performing Shakespeare or whether he's playing a garbage man. He's somebody that, as a television broadcaster, can do serious journalism as easily as he can do Mr. Puniverse and, uh, you know, basically, for lack of a better description, trash television. He's somebody that can do talk radio in a monologue format as well as he can do it in a debate format. He's somebody that can do talk radio, um, where w- which is comedic, where he's playing a character, as well as he can do serious political commentary. And he's just somebody that uh, I've always been in awe of, who's able to connect with people in every way that involves telling a story. And now... He's added podcaster to his substantial and ever-growing resume. Very, very pleased uh, to welcome legendary TV and radio broadcaster and the host of the new Richard Bay Talk podcast, the appropriately named Richard Bay. Hello, Richard. Thanks for joining me.
8: Yes, and after that introduction, I'm going to be learning the international sign language for the deaf so I I can add a new forum.
2: Um, it wouldn't surprise me if you already knew sign language. You know that's the thing that's so annoying about you is you know so a lot of us work at radio for a long time to maybe uh, do something decent at it. You just go into you just go into medium after medium and just immediately seem to have a mastery of it.
6: Well, I
8: well listen. I have to say that it's a mutually. Um, uh, it's a mutual admiration society. I think that what you've done with this overnight show, you are right on spot. You have developed a core audience. You're doing the right thing. You have engaged with that audience. And the other thing uh, that you're saying uh, in terms of you know what I've done across mediums, I, I think it all has to do with relating to people mm. on an intimate and a personal level. Connecting with people one on one, rather than what they call broadcasting. You know, say, oh, I'm speaking to millions right now. I when I first began television and I looked into that tally light on the on the camera, my feeling was, well, it's it's not so much that people would say, uh, how can, how do you look right into that camera and talk to uh, the hundreds of thousands of people and. I was talking to one person. What I would, In acting, we have something called substitution, where you take somebody that you have an emotion about and you substitute that person uh, for what's going on in the scene. And I would look into that tally light and I'd think about somebody that I loved, my father or a girlfriend or a child. And I'd speak to them in that way. Mm. And, you know, I on television, I tried to do that. On radio, I've tried to do that. And in the podcast, I've tried to do that. To yeah. make that intimate connection with I've, the listener.
2: I've, I've listened to all three editions of the podcast. I think all three ha- have been really, really terrific. And I think people will get a lot out of them. We'll talk about It's ab-
8: getting better, though. Today's was the best, I think. I mean, as with everything, and I've realized this over my career, too. You start out with a new format or a new show, and you hit bumps. Sure. And it's not very uh, – it, it's not smooth. You're, you're, it's a bit faltering. Some things work. And then you start to get your um, – Your sea legs. Yeah, your sea Absolutely. legs. Absolutely. And I think today's show uh, began to do that.
2: Well, so I mean, we're going to tell people how they can watch it in a second – Uh, My favorite so far was the first, though, because I'm so interested in you and your career and you spend a half hour just describing your personal and professional life journey, which I find so interesting. And I'm not going to ask you to repeat much of what you said on that one, because I've done, I think, a two hour interview with that with you on that already. But uh, because I want people to go back and listen to the podcast. But just explain to folks Briefly, if you can, because I know there's a lot of folks that remember you from your days on TV in both New York and Philly. How you made the transition from being a, a theater actor, trained at Yale in in theater, to being on television, to eventually doing, uh, you know, Mr. Puniverse.
8: Okay. Well, uh, you know, uh, from a very early age, I always wanted to be an actor, and. I went to uh, college as a theater major then went to uh, Yale Drama School with a lot of the most famous people in the business today uh and was um, um I I graduated with an MFA and was hired by the Repertory Company after that I spent 10 years Broadway off-Broadway I understudied the National Theater of Great Britain I went on tours I did regional theater and uh, I was doing a play in L.A. and I came back to New York and even though I was working 48 weeks out of 52, I was broke and I was 29 years old. I was about to turn 30. And I remember I was I was in the Yale Club, and you know, because uh, they have a pool and I was lying on one of their cots that I said, I said to myself, dear God, is this what you want me to do? I'm going to be in the theater doing the greatest literature of drama ever created with interesting people. But I'm uh, people my age now are buying their first home. They're starting families. I said, is this what's in store for me? And then I had a girlfriend who I'd met in L.A., and she had an audition for WCBS in New York. I came in and auditioned with her. Um uh, I got the part. It was a show called Two in the Town. She didn't. And we're still very close friends, and I love her. Uh, but the relationship didn't last after that.
9: I can
2: imagine.
8: From there, I went to Philadelphia. I replaced Maury Povich on uh, People Are Talking, their live morning uh, talk show. Uh, from there, I came to New York and did People Are Talking, and uh, later, One uh Nine Broadcast Plaza, and then The Richard Bay Show. And then years later, I I, I came to a WABC radio, and after that, the Wall Street Journal this morning. Um, SiriusXM and WWRL. That pretty much covers my resume.
2: Well, and people should wa- go back and watch the, the whole thing. I'm going to tell folks how they can do that in just a minute. For people that remember you when you were on this station, you were doing sort of a, a crossfire on, on on methamphetamine with Steve Malsberg called The Buzz. It was uh, an incredibly <laughs> entertaining show. Uh, right. I, I still remember a lot of the discussions that you guys had, a lot of the arguments that you guys had. Um, you were, throughout the Trump administration, a big Trump critic, and uh, if folks go back and look at your Facebook postings, if folks look at your commentaries, you're still a Trump critic. And I know a lot of the people that backed Joe Biden did so basically because he they didn't want Donald Trump, and they thought he would be a, a good alternative to Donald Trump. Biden uh, has certainly faced a lot of challenges. Some of the polls show that even some Democrats are not too happy with what he's doing, Uh, Whether it's the Afghanistan withdrawal, whether it's the uh, handling of the Ukraine situation, whether it's the uh, the inflation and supply chain issues, uh, whether it's the uh, uptick in crime or the situation at the border, he's certainly facing some challenges legislatively and policy wise, some of his own doing some maybe that he's being blamed for um, uh, unfairly. As somebody that voted for President Biden, how do you think he's doing after a year?
8: Well, I think, I think he's got a tough road to hoe. And I think a lot of these things that happened, for instance, the, um, uh, the outbreak of Omicron, I mean, you know, one of the things was it, it looked, um, you know, last summer as if we were through the, uh, you know, through the uh, infection, the COVID infection, uh, plague, and then it came back again and it was a, a pretty serious. It's been pretty serious for the last few months. Um, As far as if you're looking for me to criticize. No,
2: no, I'm I'm looking for your honest opinion, whatever it is.
8: Well, I do think that some of the some of the legislative proposals, to be honest with you, I agree with Joe Manchin and to a smaller degree, Susan Collins, uh, you know, that there were some of these things that he could have compromised on. And I wish he had compromised on them. I think that. Extending unemployment insurance through July rather than September and making it a $300 bump is one thing. I mean, there there are things that could be could have been cut back rather than um, insistent on fully expanding them. And I wish that uh, he had done some of those things. As far as inflation is concerned, inflation, like COVID, is a worldwide problem. Um, You know, the United States, we have 7.5 percent inflation, but we also have, uh, you know, 4 percent unemployment. 4 percent unemployment is 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 incredible. We have a high GDP. Um, In fact, when Trump was running, he promised four, five, six percent GDP growth. He never he never even hit three percent. And of course, it's 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 somewhat exaggerated because of COVID. But, you know, we've got over 5% GDP growth. We have a very – the economy is too hot right now. Um, And, uh, you know, unemployment, the way you get rid of inflation, usually, and it's what happened during Reagan, is that you create a recession, and you take the pill of recession first, and then uh, the economy stabilizes. I don't think anybody wants us to go through a recession uh, to take the castor oil, the financial castor oil, to get back and be stabilized. But inflation sooner or later will take care of itself. What else? Um, Afghanistan, he got us out of Afghanistan, and there again, it was, as far as my estimation, it was it was unpredictable that the Taliban would uh, would um, enter. Cobble so quickly and that the government would not only collapse, but they would fly out the door immediately. I mean, uh, 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 the, the president of Afghanistan would, had said, I will stay here and fight. He could have stayed and negotiated with the Taliban for some uh, more orderly transition, but he didn't. He just split. So, yeah, it, Afghanistan was getting out. Was a mess, but it was it was an incredible feat to get so many people out of that country uh, in a matter of ten days. What did they get out? One hundred and thirty thousand, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe more. It, so it, that is an incredible feat, and we did lose, uh, you know, some American servicemen. Uh, but that too, that was a terrorist attack. What are you, what are you, what are you going to do? You know. So, in estimation, yes, I wish we had a younger, more virile. More um, inspiring uh, democratic leader in the White House. I think I think Biden's presentation, uh, verbal presentation, is is lacking, Uh, and it's not only his age; it's it's the way he speaks, his Mm -hmm. downward inflections. I mean, you know, Intel just announced one of the big problems with our economy is that. Uh, we don't have those computer chips. They're necessary for almost everything that you know that we use in modern life, and also necessary for automobiles, and that's slowing down automobile production. Well, those microchips are made in either China or in Taiwan, which will someday be, it seems, a part of communist China. But Intel just announced, um, I think, I, I, I think it's three billion or more. They're going to start producing computer chips in Ohio. They're building a, a major new facility there. Now, if Donald Trump had been president, he would have been there with a shovel saying, sure. Yes, we're bringing this industry home. It, instead, it w- it's been hardly reported. You're right. You're, you're, I, I yeah. mean, his messaging is, is, is not good. I will agree. And he, when he speaks, he speaks with a downward inflection. Uh, in the theater, I was taught that if you end your sentences with an upward inflection, people will continue listening to what you have to say, which is
2: just what I did. <laughs> it, all, it all it all goes to what I said at the outset, which is uh, you are a, a master communicator, and uh, I certainly w- I, I think not only President Biden but a lot of us could take lessons from uh, your your masterful use of uh, of language and intonation. Uh, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Richard Bay. He's just started hosting a uh, podcast. It's called Richard Bay Talk. Uh, you can get it on YouTube. You can get it on Google Podcasts. We'll find out all the ways uh, that you. You can listen to it. You know, Richard, one of the things I always enjoyed about your show when you were discussing uh, more serious issues as opposed to, you know, the, the kind of the, uh, the frivolity and the fun of the Richard Bay show, which I also enjoyed immensely – was that even though you, uh, you had a, a point of view that you shared with the audience, you always seemed like a, uh, like a pretty honest broker. You always gave uh, the other side, whether it's callers or whether it's guests, uh, an opportunity to be heard. And you always um, you know, responded to the potent arguments on whether hot-button issues like the war in Iraq or um, you know, things, things that were a little bit more local. One of the things that, uh, you know, we see these days is that you have these whole media eco chambers on the left and on the right that give no coverage to the stories that are dominating the other ones. I mean, you watch Fox News or Newsmax or OAN especially, and then you watch MSNBC and other, you know, progressive networks. And you would think you're living on two different planets. Uh, How much of a problem do you think the sort of polarized media environment is in terms of creating a polarized American populace?
8: Well, you called it an echo chamber. It's an echo chamber. Yes. And I'll tell you this. When I have the TV on, I'm constantly flipping between MSNBC CNN and Fox News and even Tucker Carlson to see what's – and well, I – uh, to see what what the other side is talking about. Now you had uh, Michael Smirkanish, I believe, on your show. Right? Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. I think he right. was on Thursday.
8: All right, he's he's got one of the best shows on TV.
2: Agreed, and agreed.
8: I knew Mike in Philadelphia when I lived in Philadelphia. He was a, a political, uh, a Republican political manager for uh, uh, the Republican candidate right. running Frank Rizzo. There. He was no, – well, I don't know if he worked for Rizzo, but I think it was Green who was running in Philadelphia, and he was his campaign manager. But he was also involved in Republican politics in Philly, which was not especially robust. And when, when he was offered a talk show host position on a station in Philadelphia – I forget which one it is – he actually called me, and he asked me for advice on what he should do, how he could get an agent, where he should go with this, Uh, about my agent. um, And, um, you know, I mean, and uh, considering where he is today, I'm not saying that I, you know, that I I in any way, you know, made his career, but I did help him in the very beginning, uh, giving him advice. And I think, I think he is one of the best shows on the air. And uh, one of the things that he does is he does go outside uh you know the CNN box he does also uh, bring on guests who present alternative points of view and one thing I really love is when he has that poll and he understands how to format a show,
4: mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he has
8: that poll at the very beginning with a um, provocative political question and I have to tell you I can't wait until the end to see how even though they're CNN viewers, I want to see how they voted. And so he he keeps you watching that show. And I think he does a great uh, – other than uh, Fareed Zakaria, uh, uh, those two are about the best, you know, on television, I think, in terms of – and I listen to every Sunday morning show. You're talking about podcasts? On Sunday, I start downloading the Sunday morning shows, and then I go for a run for two hours, and then I go to the gym, and I listen to everything, you know, from the CBS show – Um, to uh, meet the press, to Fox News, where, uh, uh, you know, Chris Wallace used to be. Uh, So I I listen to all, and including Fareed Zakaria. But uh, Smirkotish's show I record, and I watch that night, so I certainly am. You know, overloaded with information by Sunday evening. But
2: uh, just going back to uh, w- what I was asking, though, do you find that the fact that there are the, both of these these uh, media spheres, the the right and the left, seem interested primarily in playing to their own version of the cheap seats? rather than having an honest conversation or, um, you know, having someone that would be a credible spokesman for the other side on. And there are exceptions to this. I, I don't mean to paint with such a broad brush, but in, in the overwhelming majority of, the, of cases, it's basically playing to people that already agree with what the subject matter is. Do you think that serves to fan the flames of division, or do you think we'd be this divided no matter what the media was covering?
8: Well, I think it certainly does fan the flames, and I, I I don't know anybody who would argue the other way, and it's principally because people are looking for uh, ratings. Uh, when Phil Boyce was at WABC, he used to talk about P1 topics, and those were topics that would get the listening audience uh, excited and angry and upset, and there would be three of them, and, and people would kind of stick to those. But it's certainly true on the, uh, you know, on the left as well. When you, uh, you know, when you watch MSNBC, sometimes it's the same stuff over and over and over again. And uh, and it's tiresome. And it is uh, divisive. I mean, I, you know, just before this, I was, and and all day, actually, I've been looking into this John Durham thing, which is a new, uh, in my opinion, a pseudo scandal that's brought up. Um A a new, uh, you know, Donald Trump came out today. He's not on Twitter, I think, anymore, but he came out with something that he said, if America was stronger, we would be executing the people involved in Mm -hmm. this. It's a big nothing burger. Nobody was spied upon. What they did was there was a computer company that could measure the pings between uh, the Russian Alpha Bank and, uh, you know, an entity uh, that Trump was connected with. There was no... Nobody read emails or heard messages. It just showed that the two IPS addresses were pinging each other. That's all it was. And if this was a matter of spying, then get John Durham to charge the guy that ran the company. His name was Jaffe, I think. Charge him with espionage, you know, uh, with hacking. But that's not what happened here. There's only been one guy charged, um, uh, or maybe there's maybe two, but there's Michael Sussman who is that lawyer, and evidently there is one person in the FBI who said it's it, there's no written account of this. There were, were no other agents in the room as there were when Michael Flynn was being interrogated by the FBI, and he says that um, uh, the, uh, the the lawyer never revealed that his firm was connected to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Now let me just remind you of one more thing. When it comes to the Steele dossier, everyone has forgotten who gave the Steele dossier to the FBI. Well, it was
10: McCain, right?
8: John McCain, and guess who prodded him
2: and supported him? Was it was and it Lindsey Graham? It was Lindsey Graham. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you never hear that mentioned uh, at all. And uh, this is uh, exactly uh, the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And I want to point out, lest anyone think that you are, you know, a uh, a cheerleader for Hillary Clinton, uh, you never voted for Bill Clinton. You talked about voting for Ross Perot and Bob Dole. And then you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton the first time she ran for Senate. You voted for Rick Lazio. So it's not exactly as if you're a Hillary Clinton partisan uh, giving this analysis.
8: I, I am not a. I you know, I wasn't the – I was really pretty much a Hillary Clinton critic until I saw her sit for 11 hours at the Benghazi hearing, and I thought her performance was stellar. You know, I mean, am I going to vote for a guy that I – you know, Trump, who I think is corrupt, you know, not that intelligent, uh, corrosive, or Hillary Clinton, who is, I think, competent and also – Somewhat corrupt in her uh, in her dealings, you know. I mean, I don't think either one of them were the and 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 Biden and uh, l- listen. I know you your listeners will do some results in disgust, but and I know they would never have a chance in hell of ever winning. But I, I would be very happy to see Pete Buttigieg and Stacey Abrams on a on a uh, a presidential ticket
2: oh, i'm sure i 'm sure you would I think you 're speaking for uh, a lot of uh, a lot of folks on the uh, on the center left uh, Richard. I could talk with you all day, but very quickly i 'm so pleased that you 're doing this podcast. Uh, Tell people why did you finally decide to do it? I had suggested this to you a couple of times, and uh, Uh you'd always kind of shrugged and said, "Eh, "You know, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm doing my own show on Facebook. Basically, Uh, we have great discussions on my Facebook page." What made you try join the other eleven thousand people that are doing their own podcast?
8: Yeah, I I know everybody and his dog and his cat has a podcast now. And now Richard Bay. Well, uh, there's a producer who. Uh, produced my shows at Sirius uh, XM uh when I was there named uh, Albert Reynoso and he lives in Florida and I live in Florida we live about an hour away from each other and uh, he's a great guy he's intelligent he's diligent he's creative and we would see each other from time to time and he and he always said whenever you want to do a podcast I'm here you know I'll I'll be the producer for it and he's been saying that for the last couple of years and then I met this guy he was visiting his niece in the building a guy from England and uh, the second time I saw him he said I went on the internet and I saw what you did he said you have got to be doing something you know uh, creative he said and I said ah you know I'm so old and whatever and he said and he, th- I know this is going to sound silly but he said to me oh my god You're not too old, you have the face of a cherub.
2: Richard, I I have to run, uh, unfortunately, but I want to encourage everybody to subscribe to the podcast, as I've done. I've subscribed on YouTube. You can search Richard Bay Talk, uh, but it's also available on Google Podcasts, and pretty soon it's going to be available wherever podcasts are available. Just search Richard Bay Talk. And if anyone on the right thinks they won't enjoy this podcast, I have to tell you, at the end of each podcast, there's a great vintage clip uh, from yesteryear. Sometimes it might have to do with the Central Park Five, sometimes it might have to do with a classic interview with somebody like steven spielberg if you're interested in what's happening in the news today or you're interested in richard bay show nostalgia it's a podcast that's absolutely essential viewing or essential listening just search richard bay talk richard it's always a treat to talk with you i'll see you the next time here in new york
8: if, if you're looking for a cherub there is uh, curtis lewa on the last one is from the night from 1989 looks like a cherub he is so young anyway frank Thanks for giving me this opportunity. And as I'll, I'll be in New York in March. Let's try to get together. I,
2: I will see you then, my friend. Uh, Richard Bay.
8: On your child.
2: Oh, Bye-bye. thank you. Thank you very much. Looking forward to introducing you. Uh, check him out on YouTube, Richard Bay Talk. 800 848 922. Your call straight ahead.
11: WABC. Curtis Lewa and Doc, I got to confide in you. I've had three major surgeries. But when I had my prostate removed robotic surgery, it was the most difficult going to the bathroom was a chore and trying to have sex you can forget about it were you warned no you're going to have problems going to the bathroom you're going to be filling up diaper after diaper and most importantly, you're not gonna be able to have sex. Would any man have surgery if he knew the truth? Absolutely not. I need a second opinion. Let me talk to Dr. Gil Lederman. Because if they told you the truth, you wouldn't have your prostate taken out. Do you regret robotic surgery? Oh, I regret any any form of surgery. Guess what? I should have gone to you, Dr. Gil Lederman, because you would have straightened me out. I would have been so better off, would have had an educated second point of view from you who's had a successful track record. Go to Dr. Gil Lederman. And he'll straighten you out in terms of what you should do and can do. Accepting most insurances, Medicare, Medicaid, Dr. Lederman, 212-CHOICES, call 212-CHOICES, 1384
1: Broadway.
2: It's no secret that food was different 60 years ago. It was minimally processed. It was free of pesticides. It was nourishing. It was healthy. Today, that's not the case. You know, I love life change tea. It's a tea that is specifically blended with a powerful herbal proprietary formula that can help give you more energy without caffeine. I drink it every day. It tastes great. There's no fillers, no GMOs. It's completely organic. It's a mild cleanse, a daily detox that cleanses you from the in. Side Out. Their slogan is the tea that makes you go. Now, it makes you go in a few different respects. It gives you a ton of energy and gives you a little get up and go so that you have that get up and go. But it also helps you go to the restroom if, you're ever, if you've ever had a hard time doing that. Read the testimonials for yourself at getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Use the promo code FRANK for free shipping. Go to getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. But you've got to use that promo code. All right, coming up next hour... We'll delve into the Russia situation. I will take your calls. And uh, if you want to comment on the Richard Bay situation or any of the other subjects that I brought up, making Super Bowl Monday a holiday or uh, the baby talk question, you can call in. We have uh, eight open lines, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. And I'll share with you a wide variety. Of other ruminations I had on various thoughts, coming up in the three o'clock hour, we'll talk about the automat. This is the other side of midnight, in the words of the great Bob Barker. Help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cats spayed or neutered.
1: This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio seventy-seven WABC. Now here's Frank Morano.
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, thank you for tuning into our little program. And uh, if you want to be heard, you can do so. 800-848-9222. You know, I, I almost... I was the first person... I don't want to say I was the first, because I wasn't. I was one of the first radio talk shows in New York to be to focus at length on the Russia situation. Namely providing an alternative to the narrative that was coming out of the mainstream media, right? Because, and when I say the mainstream media, I don't mean just how that term is traditionally used, just the left-wing media, because the conservative media outlets, with, the exception, uh, with a few exceptions, namely Tucker Carlson, they were all about being tougher on Vladimir Putin. And that sort of became the debate in this country, is you have Biden... And Tony Blinken that says, we're not going to take any guff from Putin. And then you have the conservatives, uh, the supposed conservatives, the neocons, who will say, well, Biden's got to be even tougher on Putin. And it was just such. Now, whatever your position is on the Russia situation, that's your position. Fine. I don't care. Um, I mean, I care, but you're entitled to it. So I just found the the coverage of Russia so shallow. Now, we're, we are getting some more robust discussions about the Russia situation. But every day, I feel like we see the same headline. Every day, it seems like the headline is, Russian invasion of Ukraine is imminent. Russian invasion of Ukraine is imminent. Now, my question is, how how long can they say that without an invasion taking place? With a straight face. I mean, at, at some point, doesn't it become the boy who cried wolf? Doesn't it become the administration who that cried imminence? Now, what they're saying here is that Russia is getting set to go, and uh, they're getting ready to go into Ukraine, and uh, it's a, a big deal. Now, you have Putin, who says there won't be a war. We'll continue to talk with Western partners. Now... You have Ukraine that seems pretty optimistic that there won't be a war. The U.S. has announced it will not hit Russia with new sanctions unless Moscow initiates an invasion of Ukraine, with a top official stating that the possibility of economic punishment is a more effective deterrent than preemptive measures. Um, A zoo in Russia has taken a fresh approach to Valentine's Day by creating an event allowing those who've been dumped to throw insects named after their old flames to the resident animals. Now, that's certainly creative, right? You've got to give them some credit for that. The Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, declared Wednesday, which is what day is today for us in America? Today is Tuesday. So that's... The day Wednesday is the day that the U.S. has claimed Russia will quote invade. A day of national unity, in a decree, he ordered Zelensky, the playing of the national anthem and displaying of flags and flag ribbons around the country. That's great. That's great. Um, this is Pentagon spokesman Admiral Kirby, yesterday talking about what the U.S. is doing to try and de-escalate the situation. This is uh, John Kirby. The Russians can de-escalate immediately.
7: They could easily sit down and take seriously a diplomatic path forward and stop this now so that there is no need for people to have to flee their homes, so that there is, uh, there are no casualties. There is no bloodshed. Now,
2: a couple of things. One of the things that we've seen here, and I applaud Biden for spending some time and Talking to Putin and trying to find a diplomatic end to this. The political relationship between Moscow and Washington has deteriorated so much that I mean, anything could set off a major, major firestorm here. Anything could be the um sort of the spark that ignites a forest fire. British spies believe that the Russian backed agents and saboteurs are hatching a plan to stage uprisings across Ukraine in the wake of an all-out invasion. That's according to the latest slew of allegations that is handed to the media by anonymous officials. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. But here's what I wonder. And I have asked everybody this. I asked George Beebe this. I asked Colonel Douglas McGregor this. I asked General Wesley Clark this. I have asked person after person who has any sort of expertise on the issue of foreign policy. What does America gain by the continued expansion of NATO? Now, if you look at Putin's list of demands, the, the, the key thing for him is he doesn't want NATO expanding beyond, you know, right up to Russia's borders. And he doesn't want Ukraine, which is still one of Russia's greatest trading partner, if not their greatest trading partner, he doesn't want Ukraine being a part of NATO. So my view is what is America gaining by allowing this? Meaning the flirtation with NATO and Ukraine. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't the United States simply take this off the table? We don't gain anything by Ukraine entering NATO. I don't think we gain anything with countries like Montenegro and uh, Macedonia entering uh, NATO. Why the push for constant NATO expansion? Well, we know there's a lot of people that benefit, including the military-industrial complex. But do you... A regular American, a a farmer, a a truck driver, an office worker, an accountant, a lawyer, how do you benefit? Unless you're in a position where you're a military contractor, how do you benefit with this continuous expansion of NATO? If I were president, I'll tell you what I'd do. I would look to get any extent to stop expanding NATO. And then I say to Putin, sort of you know like kennedy did in the the cuban missile crisis you you, you say to putin look you got to give me something that l- gives me an opportunity to save face not only domestically but internationally but i don't want this nato expansion any more than you do so let's come up with something that america quote unquote gets something that you're giving to the west and then in exchange will not only stop expanding nato but will have russia be a greater a greater partner in western civilization because if you look at what the united states has done and i'm not singling out joe biden here because this is a policy that has gone on under the trump administration the biden administration the obama administration and the bush administration and To some extent, even the very end of the Clinton administration. What we've done is we've continuously ostracized Russia, especially over the last seven or eight years. So what do you think Russia is going to do? They're going to look for partners wherever they can. And that has pushed Russia, the U.S. ostracizing Russia and Putin has pushed Russia, Russia into the arms of Xi Jinping and China. How is America well-served by any of this? The only people I see benefiting from this are the military-industrial complex. How do you benefit? Whether, now, now, thankfully, Blinken and Biden have largely taken off armed conflict with Russia off the table. I don't know what we're still sending troops to Eastern Europe for, but okay, they're taking troops off the table and instead uh, they are holding over the prospect of sanctions. How do you benefit from sanctions with Russia? I don't think you do. Do you benefit with lower gas prices? I got quite an education on the Cats Roundtable last night listening to... Uh, John Katsimatidis and uh, Peter King and others. And Peter King and I don't agree on the Russia issue at all. He's uh, much more hawkish on this issue than I am. But I was listening to John talk about energy prices and where that would leave us if we end up in some sort of a, a new Cold War with Russia. And it uh, spoiler alert, means you're going to pay higher prices. So um, I don't understand uh, where, the, where we're going on this. I don't. And I hope uh, that calmer heads and cooler heads prevail in both the United States and in Eastern Europe because um, this has all the potential of, of disaster. And again, if you're looking for further reading on the subject, I once again want to direct you to George Beebe's book, uh, George Beebe's book on this subject is terrific. It's very short, but it will really expand your your context and your knowledge for where we are with respect to Russia. It's called The Russia Trap, How Our Shadow War with Russia Could Spiral into Nuclear Catastrophe. And BB goes into all these different areas. Maybe there's four or five. And when I say areas, I don't mean just geographic areas, although that's part of it but all these different areas where we're very close to a a conflict with Russia and how any of these areas could flare up into a nuclear catastrophe. And what good does that do anybody? In my view, we need to be working with Russia. We need to work with Russia on issues like nuclear proliferation, issues like terrorism. So... That's my two cents. Love to hear from you. 800-848-WABC. We'll go through your mail in just a minute as well. Uh, 800-848-9222. Jay is in South Carolina.
12: Hello, Jay. Frankie.
13: Jay. I'm giving a shout-out here from down south. Wonderful. And I don't care. Like, everybody, everybody thinks about something, but I'm going to tell you something right now. And here's the big thing: If somebody ever told you that you were going to take a nomination to be a Supreme Court justice, how could you ever take that, knowing that you have a conscience? That, uh, 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 no shit, you know.
2: All right, and you can't you can't uh, I'm, I'm curse sorry. on uh, on radio, so. Thank you. I'm amazed at how often people forget that we're on terrestrial radio and you can't use profanity. A guy that never uses profanity is Tom from the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah, yes, again. I like
14: to.
13: I like to say that inflation, uh, the way it's being conducted, is wrong because if if there are, let's say, if there are uh, needs in New York City with the subways. Or the or the railroads, or the highways, and the state doesn't have enough money to uh, to finance the, the workers. Then I could see the inflated dollars being uh, printed and paying the workers to do the work. But when they sent the money to individuals all out in the country. The people get the money, and they say, well, why should I go to work? It's all right if you're promoting the work or if you're uh, trying to get things done uh, in this in the country uh, physically or a company doesn't have enough money to pay the workers. I can see the government uh, pr- pr- uh, putting in funds for that situation. But in other words, uh, if they did that, you wouldn't have this severe inflation that you see today. Think about it.
2: I will. I will think of that, Tom. Thank you. Igor is in Fairlawn. Hello, Igor.
13: Yeah, hi, Frank. How are you? Uh,
15: a lot of good topics, you know, to hear. But I want to touch the base regarding the Ukraine crisis. Um, and um, it is my point of view. You know, I came from Ukraine 30 years ago a uh, couple things you know everything what you said yeah it could be but I believe it is one-sided uh, I have a little bit different well, point what, what, of what what's view.
2: one-sided what's one-sided
15: okay I, I'll explain to you so what you're saying it is from the side of United States of America right what is good for United States of America I understand we're living here we are citizens of this country and that's very important but at the same time you have to ask the question what is good for ukraine is it russia and putin allowed to dictate to the world what they're supposed to do and what decisions they have to make no because it is criminal criminal at the top of the big country and he cannot do that he cannot we cannot allow him to do that that's 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 not good. Uh, so let, let, very, again very
2: and, and let, maybe world. maybe if I was doing just, maybe if I was doing a radio program in in Ukraine I would have a little bit of a different take. But given what you said Igor, what should the United States be doing? L- let's say everything you said is right and that Ukraine has an, an an interest in checking Russian aggression and making sure that Putin, you know, doesn't think Eastern Europe is simply his playpen. What should the United you know, States be doing if you, you, know, you had your drugs again?
15: My, my my point of view, and it is not just United States of America; it is the European countries, including Germany and France. You know, Ukraine is not aggressor. They are not. They they they, they, they do nothing to the, to Russia, you know, and so. The world has to be strong and has to support Ukraine because Ukraine, it is a line of defense for the whole world, including the United States, even say we are so far away. That's all.
4: All right.
2: Well, thank you, Igor. You- I, I don't see – and he said that's also uh, – it sounded like he had one other thought there, which he was welcome to share. I don't see – look, my goal, right, in being an American and commenting on world affairs – is viewed through is viewed through advocating what's in the best interests of the United States. And I don't see what the American interest is in risking troops on behalf of Eastern Ukraine. I'm sorry. And again, I I am seeing these headlines. Europe closer to war than at any point in 70 years. And um I find them, one, incredibly inaccurate because, look, you had 100,000 people that died in the Balkan Wars back in the 1990s. That was Europe, and yet it's almost like that is ignored. So I hope that this doesn't come to a conflict. I pray, literally, that there is a diplomatic solution to this. But if there's not, why is it our business? Why is it our business? I don't want to be getting involved in this kind of a conflict. Sorry. Sorry. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in Bayonne. Hello, John. Hi. John, what do you have us on, speakerphone? Hi, Frank. Hi, John.
16: Uh, listen, the Richard Bay interview, I mean, I, it, it seems like that guy is extremely anti-Trump.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair characterization.
16: I mean, throwing out the, something saying that Trump is corrupt, I think you as an interviewer could have asked him, well, provide an example, Mr. Richard Bay. You said he's corrupt. Give me an example.
2: Well, but then he would have gone on for 10 or 15 minutes. Well, just one
16: example doesn't take 10 minutes. Well, he I mean, I, know, we, I
2: know, but Trump's not president anymore. We've gone through We did but that.
16: He, Richard Bay is the one who brought him up. He said Trump is corrupt. You didn't ask him. Well, Richard provide an example of how he's corrupt you know that would have been a nice follow-up question which you didn't do which well, is fine
2: well I appreciate the advice John
16: and then to say this whole thing is a nothing burger people are being indicted over this Richard Bay there are going to be people indicted it's not a nothing burger all
2: right well you should contact him uh, comment on his podcast and you can uh, make your voice heard there Pete is on Staten Island hello Pete
17: Hi, Frank. On a lighter note, uh, for this Valentine's Day, uh, I call it inflation. The, the donut shops, I don't want to mention, mention the names, but you know which ones they are. They're making hot donuts. And a baker friend of mine says that uh, the product is cut almost in half because the heart takes away from the donut. so you're getting less a donut, less a cream, and that's what's going on. And the other thing, uh, on a lighter note, is that, uh, you know, this, with the uh, inflation of everything, it's uh, really a murder. I'm in Jersey right now in Edison, and uh, I don't have to walk around with a mask. You know, basically, I'm at a hotel. Nobody's wearing a mask. There's a pool. People are in the pool with no mask. So it's like back to, like, three years ago, and that's why – I've been racing over here. You don't want to see my, uh, easy pass bill. It's uh, like, like, it's, uh, like paying for, uh, you know, a luxury. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, I'm, I'm in Jersey more than I'm in Staten Island now. Yeah. So that's I, I, I
2: can imagine. I can imagine that, uh, Pete. And uh, look, inflation's no joke. That's for sure. Robert's on long Island. Hello, Robert.
10: Hey, how you doing, Frank? I'm a good fan of yours. Thanks. Uh, like uh, like Michael Corleone said to Tom Hague, you know you surprise me, Frank. Because what if the United States surrounded Cuba? What do you think Russia would do?
2: Well the United States does surround Cuba.
10: No, what if we surrounded them with boats and and battleships and put all of our and started threatening them? What do you think Russia would do?
2: I don't think Russia would do anything.
10: I think you're wrong, because they were okay. in Venezuela when we were gonna go there. Well, again, you, know, you surprise me. You surprise right, me. Oh
2: well, uh, you're going to have to learn to deal with surprises, then, Robert.
10: Well, you know, you, you're starting to sound like Biden. You sound a little weak. I I sound weak. Uh, you know, Biden is talking you sound about. Weak. You sound, you okay, sound weak.
2: Okay, tell me how I sound re- weak, Robert.
10: Oh, we just want a peace. So let 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 Russia just keep going all the way into through. Okay, the so Europe. let's go
2: with your way. Well, let's go with your way. How many American troops are you willing to have die? Defending None. ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine. None.
10: I want to. I want to cut the oil off, and I want to sanction them until they have no money.
2: Okay. So, do you? How does America benefit from, as you say, cutting the oil off and sanctioning them until they have no money? And how effective well, we, have American sanctions on Russia been since the Crimean annexation in 2014? Have that sir? Has that well, served we, to we check just, Russian aggression?
10: The problem was we just let him do it last time because you had a weak president. We've had three
2: presidents. We've had three presidents go forward with uh, Russian uh, Russian sanctions, Obama, Trump and and Biden.
10: And yet. And what did they do? What did they what did they do when Trump was in there? Nothing, nothing. Well, what have they done now? What have they done now? Well, look at what they did. They're flexing their muscles. Yeah. They, they, Who
2: knows what they're going to do? Well, exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, you could have said that at any point, Robert. I mean, it sounds incredibly naive what you're saying. You want to call me weak? Are you going to call Tucker Carlson weak? You know what? Um, I am so tired of this covering pro, re- uh, this, uh, pro wrestling style of coverage of foreign policy. Y- you got to take your partisan glasses off. And stop viewing the world as a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter, because the, the bottom line is when you're talking about issues related to foreign policy, some of these issues are quite complicated. And yet you, when you talk about um, that, I'm, I'm being weak on Russia. No, I'm not. I'm being supportive of America. And if you want to talk about further Russian sanctions, you know, that will do nothing except do what they've done for the last eight years, which is encourage more Russian aggression. And I don't see how you benefit from that. And when you cut off Russia as a trading partner to Germany, which it sounds like what you want to do, well, there's a country with a billion people in it that's only too happy to provide a trading partnership with Russia. That's China. Is that really what you want to do? How does America benefit? From cutting off America, from cutting off Russia from the West, and driving them further into the arms of China. To me, that sounds weak. And even more so than sounding weak, it sounds stupid, quite frankly. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC.
2: side of midnight i'm frank morano uh taking your calls at 800-848-9222 uh, we'll talk about the automat next hour uh meantime uh discussing the situation in U- in ukraine and russia which we're told every day war is imminent between those two countries and uh, we are told that uh, america needs to get involved to defend ukraine because ukraine is a democracy ukraine is not a democracy Ukraine is, in many respects, one of the furthest things from a democracy. Uh, you know where the the leader of the largest opposition party in Ukraine is right now? He's in jail. So uh, Ukraine is anything but a democracy. And even if they were a democracy, personally, I don't think it's the job of the United States to stand up and protect any democracy from invasion. In fact, this is where I agree – uh, with with Putin's position that we should not be going forward with further NATO expansion. You're free to disagree. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe.
18: Hey, Frank. How's it going tonight?
2: I think it's going, uh, I think it's going fairly well.
18: It's like get at Frank part two. Everybody's pulling in their uh, That's
2: all right. They're entitled as long as they're listening.
18: <laughs> exactly. I agree with you 100%. I don't really personally think... We shouldn't be involved in this. I think we should be worrying more about what's going on in the United States right now. Um, all these boys are going to get shipped over there, and hopefully none of them get hurt. You know, it's, it's, I have a relative who's in the Army, and he he's going to be deployed. And, you know, he's got a family. He's got a girlfriend. And no one thinks about that stuff. I think we should open the Keystone Pipeline. And the energy is independent again. And uh, I don't think you're weak at all on the radio, by the way. I think you're very strong. But you gotta let people don't understand that you're right. Listen, I'm a Trump supporter, but you gotta hear both sides of the story. You gotta let people talk, you see other opinions. And, you know, as far as Biden and Trump, they both walked into bad situations. And they're trying to do the best they can. I, I, you know, Biden's this and that, but. What are you going to do in a situation like that, that he's trying and hopefully nobody gets hurt and nobody dies in this? Have a good eye, Frank. Well,
2: well said, Joe. I, I think that's one thing that everybody can agree on, irrespective of where you come down on the Russia situation. Paul is in New Jersey. Hello, Paul. Hey, how
18: you doing, Frank? Um, yeah, I just want to harp in on, uh, you know, the situation over in Russia and uh, Ukraine, Um I agree with you, you know. I don't think it ends well. Um, first thing that comes to mind to me is uh a line from uh, The Patriot, with Mel Gibson, when they're talking about going to war with England. And he says, uh, you know, mark my words, this war will not be fought overseas. Our children will, will um, excuse me, learn from it with their own eyes. Um, that's what I think about this.
2: Me me too. Uh, 30, I, you know, I had forgot, I've seen the film, I think- but I had forgotten uh, that particular line, but it certainly rings true on that one.
18: Yeah, I, I just, I don't think it ends well. I think people, especially the warmongers need to be very careful because, uh, you know, I'm 32 years old. I'm registered for the draft, um, you know, and uh, I, I just think it's, it's this is not going to be good if it goes into an all out conflict. And, when their kids are getting sent over there, getting blown up, you know, we'll see how, uh, you know, how, how their tune changes.
2: Uh, well said, Paul. Uh, that is for sure. Let me squeeze in at least one more call on this. Bruce is in Livingston, I presume. Hello, Bruce.
14: Yes, you presume correctly, Frank. Let me give you some historical perspective. When Gorbachev was the Communist Party Party ruler. And the Soviet Union was breaking up George Bush the I and inherited, after Reagan, the situation where the Yeltsin took over from Gorbachev and the Communist Party was broken up in Russia. And we had an opportunity then to become great friends with Russia. Russia wanted to be part of NATO at that time. Yeltsin was sick. He was he resigned. Putin took over. And instead of welcoming Russia and working with Russia and integrating Russia into the Western world, we turned our face or back on Russia.
2: No, that's and right. Russia, and that's all spelled out in this George Beebe
14: book that I'm encouraging people to
2: recommend, to to
14: read. Yeah, i I. Been in Russia, many times I know the Russian people, they're very nice people. But after World War II, Russia was really devastated, they really did the bulk of the fighting against the Nazis. Now, of course, the United States and the Allies fought back hard against the Nazis, but a tremendous amount of Russian people died, and they're very, very, as a nation, still shaken. By that conflict with the Nazis in World War II, and they're very paranoid about it. And Putin, I look at Putin's point of view. He's a Russian patriot, and we have American patriots. And if they were going to put military forces right on our on our border, me being Russia, I would be very upset. Yeah, especially after the war and lost for the the, the war and lost between 15 million and 25 million people. I don't know how many Stalin killed and how many the Germans killed, um, but you look back and the numbers are astronomically high for Russia. They had a tremendous cost for World War II, and they don't want American troops and NATO sitting right on their border hostilely when they did everything they could to be integrated into the West. Now, of course, they have a, a I would, what people call a mafia economy, but I look at their economy as they had a communist system. Well, again, system uh, uh, thanks,
2: was... Bruce. Uh, read this uh, George Beebe book. Uh, George gets into the the transition from this um, com- communist economy, basically, to a basically a, a an economy dominated by oligarchs, and uh, he, he traces that transition and how so many of the things that have gone poorly over the last 30 years could have gone differently and how all of those choices could inure to the benefit of, could have inured to the benefit of both Russia and the United States. So, uh, hey, we're going to go through your mail in just a minute. If you want to send a letter, you can. Uh, you can email me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's m o r a n o at wabcradio.com. dot com. I've been meaning to tell you. I've had this on my list all um, all of last week and and this week. And uh, let me get to it before I f- forget it again. I had um, I had told you that I would try those Anson Williams alert drops. Anson Williams, of course, played uh, Potsy on Happy Days, and he's in the business of selling these alert drops now, which. Keep you more alert while driving. And so I, I, I have been taking them because especially on Mondays when I drive home, I'm pretty tired because I don't get necessarily very much sleep from Sunday into Monday, especially yesterday with the Super Bowl and everything. So on uh, as I was driving home yesterday, I did take a couple, and I do take them periodically when I'm feeling groggy while driving. I do I must say they do immediately make you more alert, immediately. And you're not going to fall asleep once you put these drops in your mouth. However, that feeling of alertness doesn't last that long. And eventually, you have to uh, do it again. I would say that feeling of really, really enhanced alertness um, lasts about 10 or 15 minutes. So, and then again, this is an honest review, they're not an advertiser or anything. So if you want to if you want to use them most effectively and I know we have a lot of people that drive whether it's a truck or whether it's an Uber or whatever who are always battling grogginess I think the strategy to use them most effectively and this is what I've been doing when I'm driving home and I'm drowsy is you've got to you've got to squirt them into onto your tongue every 15 minutes or so because it doesn't last beyond that it gives you a 15 minute boost of alertness and then after that you're just as at risk of falling asleep as you otherwise would be. So uh, if you want to try that, uh, I would certainly recommend uh, trying it again. Is it, is it life changing? I don't think so. I'm mean, look, the best strategy is pulling over on the side of the road and taking a little bit of a nap before you continue. But if you're not in a position to do that, then these alert drops do work for 10 or 15 minutes, but you've got to keep using them. They do fade pretty quickly. All right, uh, we'll go through the mail next. If you want to comment on anything we're discussing, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.
1: WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC, Brian Kilmey, entertaining and informative. If these truck drivers bring real life to them, express their outrage, you can't just ruin people's lives, destroy the mental and emotional health of kids, and go ahead and go about your life. We understand that you're living a double life, that you're forcing us to go through. Brian Me, weekdays 10 to noon, after Bernie and Sid in the morning. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: other side of midnight, I'm Frank Morano. Uh, if you want to be heard on any subject we're discussing, give me a call, 1 800 848 9222. However, if written communication is more to your liking, then you can write to me at uh, P.O. Box 1777. Uh, send it to my attention, Attention Frank Morano, New York, New York 10163. The, it does take me a while to get those because. They don't empty the P.O. box that often, but at least once a month they do. I will get your letter eventually. So, uh, in the meantime, if you want to email me, you could do so at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.m-o-r-a-n-o at wabcradio.com. And we have a boatload of... of mail comes to us from michael in howard new jersey he writes dear frank i'm a frequent listener of the other side of midnight and enjoy it i'm going to see the new christopher lloyd film you suggested this weekend you know the thing about curtis is he's jealous because you're young and got hip topics well i'm aging rapidly uh, also on the topic of divorce i heard curtis has to have a woman all the time this and previous marriages and kids cost money keep it up frank Thanks, Mike, and I don't know if he wants his name mentioned. Retired M.E., Rutgers, 1986, comedy guitarist, ukulelist, and then, see, most of the letter is typed, and then he handwrites in in ink. Also, I gamble, I drink, I smoke stogies. Well, sounds like my kind of a guy. I'm
11: like a person of no consequence.
2: This comes to us from email from Joseph Volpe. Frank, I enjoyed that segment pertaining to the local commercials of lore. I think he meant... um, your i guess laura works too since i always listen whilst working i can never call and join in i'm thinking about the old otb spots featuring boxing great rocky graziano as he ponders the equine entries until it hits me they also tied into star wars with may the horse be with you otb famously finished out of the money as a gambling venue due to idiocy and corruption going to the track is much more fun anyway keep up the good work Jv, Thank you, JV. Appreciate that. Uh, This is an email as well. Subject, election fraud in 2020. This is from Jim. Hey, Frank, I'm sure you couldn't care less, but I'm majorly disappointed in you. I'm an avid listener of yours in the morning, usually 4 a.m. until now 5 a.m. You say we should move on from this as a country. I emphatically disagree. This nation will never be America again if we do not fix it. The election was stolen by China. Our own corrupt government and other nations were involved. We must fix it. Thank you, Jim. Uh, This is from Brendan Frankie. I heard the interview with Sandy Bayen, leader from We Decide New York, when she referenced our crumbling infrastructure as an example of why we need Andrew Cuomo back in Albany. You should have mentioned that President Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill is now law. You always notice people are always an authority in what I should mention. Uh, after it had passed, in your defense of Representative Nicole Malliotakis, you mentioned that you were happy that it will film New York City's potholes. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Representative Malliotakis said that it has the basic infrastructure needs taxpayers expect from the government, but has been neglected for decades. Have you been on the LIE in Suffolk lately? Oofah! Your pal, Brendan, in Middle Village. Thank you, Brendan. This is from... Sal Morrow, hey Frank, how are you? Rachel and Carmine, really enjoy your programs via podcast. I ordered uh, the other side of Midnight T-shirt in Texas orange. That's all for me from now. Stay safe. By the way, I remember that Batman trivia contest you held a few years ago where you asked who was the very first actor to play Batman. Well, I'm that Sal who won the contest by answering it was Lewis Wilson in the 1943 serial Batman. I, I am very impressed with your Batman knowledge, Sal. I'm very impressed with your loyal listenership and I'm even more impressed that you bought a t-shirt. If you want to buy uh, the other side of midnight t-shirt, go to wabcradiostore.com. That's w a b c dot and just search the other side of midnight or morano. There's a whole bunch of uh a whole bunch of items that come up. Now, it was interesting to me in our meeting Friday they were going through who has sold the most merchandise and I think um there, I think the leader at this point is actually Vinny Madugno, who does a great show on Saturday nights before Cousin Brucie. That was at least based on the information I had seen last Friday. Maybe there's some later information. But if you want to help me catch up to Vinny Madugno, go to WABCRadioStore.com, and you can uh, buy a shirt, you can buy drinkware, you can buy a cap, whatever you want. Uh, this is from Robert, who writes of my appearance with uh, Sid Rosenberg last Friday, which they do a live video stream as well. Uh, Robert writes, you are definitely ready to be the next Merv Griffin. You look great on TV. That being said, can't wait to hear last night slash this morning's podcast. Well, thank you, Robert. That's very kind. Uh, this is from Jay uh, Subject Wiener. Reasons to know. Hi, Frank. There are so many reasons Wiener should not be on 77. Maybe some other network, but the reason family persons like myself, yourself, are attached to 77 are we are diverse, snurdly, Lydia, etc., but aligned in integrity. Quote, truth. All the hosts on WABC, though they may share different views and histories like Sid's drug past, they all share integrity and a family type of approach to life. I remember how shocked Sid and Bernie were when Frank Diaz said... That he hadn't talked to his dad in years. We revel, though, we revile those who don't respect integrity. There's literally palpable anger with Wiener, and rightfully so. Would you let Wiener share a barbecue event when Carmine was around? I beg of you, as a faithful, everyday, constant listener and admirer of yours, please do everything you can to convey to John Katz please do not let Wiener on WABC. Even if it's a publicity trick, even if Curtis suggested it. It is a bad, bad, bad idea. Curtis may be sleep-deprived. Weiner will water down WABC credibility, allow other stations to make WABC an organization worthy of ridicule, convert WABC to ratings-focused and not truth-focused, completely dissolve the patina of goodness and integrity that WABC has gained in the recent past. I will likely painfully switch to Bloomberg Radio on the weekends and even maybe weekdays if Weiner gains a voice. He's a predator. And a media pursuant, please let John Katz know it's a huge mistake. Love you, bro. Blessings to Carmine and Rachel. All right, well, certainly people seem pretty uh, pretty upset about that. This is a nice email from Grace. uh, And I've gotten a bunch of emails like this. But let me, uh, I'll just focus on this one. uh, Because Grace is a nice lady and I know she listens to the show repeatedly. Hi, Frank, not to ruin your day, but I just wanted to say how bad I feel about Curtis. He seems to diss you all the time. I know you're friends, but it has such a nasty, mean edge at times. I don't understand why he devotes so much time to discredit and belittle you. I'm sure most of it's jealousy, as a caller said, but I feel he just goes on and on. He has his show shows and should be happy and devote his time to them and not harping on you. I thought you were even going to call in last night. It seems that's what he wants you to do. I didn't even listen to the whole show, but every time I did, he kept bringing you up in a bad light. I guess it's radio stuff to seem that there's a rivalry or some competition, but it's too much now. The ratings are yours. He even wants credit for them. I thought Mr. C would even talk to him on the side and say, knock it off. As you can tell, it bothers me. I know you're friends, but as they say, friends like that. Anyway, enjoy the game, meaning the uh, Sunday Super Bowl. I always. I also want to tell you that any leftover pizza from now on, you can freeze it. It's a great secret. Hi to Rachel and Karma in regards. Grace. Well, that's a nice, a nice email, and I appreciate that uh, email. Let me, because I've gotten so many emails like this. Um, nobody should be upset about anything Curtis says about me, except maybe me. And I can assure you, I'm not upset about it in the least. Let me. Let me say a few things here. By the way, I, I'm looking at uh, Anthony Weiner with Curtis on. Uh, The Fox News Channel and Wiener, to his credit, is wearing a W.A.B.C. shirt. So at least he's uh, at least he's promoting the station. All right, Wiener. Um, But but anyway, um, first, a lot of the criticism that Curtis levels at me is very funny. Now, I have no problem with anybody making fun of me as long as as long as it's funny. Right. So, Curtis, I'd say about 30 percent of the time it is funny. A lot of the time, Curtis does that because he doesn't have anything prepared. And uh, if I can help Curtis get through an hour where he's uh, sleep deprived or whatever, and if he wants to riff on me, I'm happy to do that. The other thing, you, you say that you know that Curtis and I are friends. The relationship that Curtis and I have goes so far beyond friendship. It is familial. Okay, I am closer to Curtis than I am almost anybody on earth. Professionally, in the world of radio, other than John Katsimatidis, there is not a single person on earth that has done more for my radio career than Curtis. Not only has he helped me learn the craft of radio a great deal, but I can't even describe to you at four different radio companies, Disney, Citadel, Salem, and now Red Apple, what a friend he has been to me behind the scenes. Uh, I don't even know that I would have ever had a show. But for Curtis. So as far as I'm concerned, Curtis can bash me for five, six hours a day. And I will still be grateful for everything he's ever done for me on the radio. Uh, And it's not serious. I mean, again, as I've said a hundred times, if Curtis really doesn't like you uh, as a radio broadcaster, he just doesn't mention you. That's how you can tell the people that Curtis doesn't like, because there's not a mention at all. If he's taking a shot at you, and especially the way Curtis does it, he's always talking about... Uh, The ratings and when we're on, it's, you know, it's wonderful. It's wonderful promotion. He could do that all the live long day. Um, Two final thoughts on this, because I did get so much email about this over the weekend. One, um, Steve Dunleavy, I knew at the very end of his career, he was a columnist for the New York Post. He had been on A Current Affair. Wonderful guy uh, and uh, Australian. And when I knew him, he couldn't stand Curtis, couldn't stand him. Really? And um, he would refer to Curtis as that nitwit you work with. You know, he had this very thick Australian accent. And um, Curtis would never take a shot at Steve Dunleavy. And I said, Curtis, you take shots at everybody. Why is it that Steve Dunleavy is immune from your razor tongue? And he said to me, and I never forgot this. He said, look, Steve Dunleavy was was the city editor at the New York Post. And it was Steve Dunleavy that first made the decision to cover the Guardian Angels. And it was Steve Dunleavy that made me everything that I am, pretty much. I'm paraphrasing here. So as far as I'm concerned, Steve Dunleavy can say whatever negative thing he wants about me forever. And I'd still owe him one. That's the way I feel about Curtis, honestly. And the other thing, a lot of people have brought up that a lot of the callers to Curtis don't know that he's joking. And they go on these rants. Well, look. Uh, the callers that call Curtis to complain about me—they're morons. They're total morons.
11: Some of you can't even chew gum th- and think.
2: At the not same only time. are they uh, too buffoonish to know that Curtis is joking, but uh, I mean, clearly we're dealing with too sophisticated a level of humor and uh, public policy discussion for them to comprehend. So don't be bothered if morons are criticizing me or anybody else. They're morons. You can't—you can't be upset about what a moron thinks. Uh, this is from uh, a, an emailer. I don't know. He didn't sign it. He writes, Hi, hope all okay. Hopefully you read my book. I can't believe Curtis lowered himself to sit with a child abuser. That is the lowest in prison. Anyway, please let me know if you read my book. Hope all is well with you and yours. All the best. I used to see Wiener with Mark Green every morning having coffee together, so I know them well. But, wow, Curtis lowered himself. Um, but then again, who am I to judge? Everyone deserves a second and third chance. Please let me know if you read my book. I'm open for all dialogue. Thank you. All the best. Now, this person did not sign his email. How in the world could I tell him if I read his book or not when he didn't even sign the email? So if that person who wrote that to me um, is listening, I don't know if I read your book because you did not... Sign your email. Uh, this, this comes to us from the world of Facebook. This is from a user named Dave, who wrote. Um, uh, let me find Dave's comments. Um, oh, uh, this is this has to do with my discussion of Meet the Fockers. Frank, the weirdest thing happened. I have I happened to tune into your show and you were talking about Meet the Fockers movie. Are you on drugs? I'm very confused. I'm older than you, so I can tell you will you. I can tell you will all certainty. I think he means with all certainty. Uh, that was bad slash dumb slash lazy radio. Now let me explain to you something. Uh Wow! Wow! wow. Dave. If you're asking me if I'm on drugs and you can't even use the word with when you mean the word when you when you intend to and you put the word will, I think you better give yourself a drug test. Uh, Tom writes, it was so refreshing to hear someone from the center left on your show. It's way too rare that you have these people on, even though you admire Smarkanish and say you aren't a doctrinaire conservative. I look at Twitter before your show begins, and I'm disappointed about 90% of the time with the political persuasion of the guests if they have a political persuasion. Even the movie reviewer is a right wing nut, for example. First of all, I've invited Jeffrey, Williams, Jeffrey Lyons, who's my favorite film reviewer, on the show many times, and uh, he listens to this show. He says sometimes he doesn't want to stay up late. He also has an obligation to CBS, so he's welcome to come on. I completely dispute your characterization of us only having on right-wing guests. First of all, I try not to have on too many political guests. But off the top of my head, you have Ralph Nader, who's a progressive. Tom DiNapoli, who's a Democrat. Jesse Ventura, who seems to lean left uh, these days. In the Atlantic City segment, Bruce Weeks, a Democrat member of the Atlantic City Council. Sandy Bayan, a self-described Cuomo sexual. Russell Bentley, a communist. Michael Tracy, a progressive. Doug Schoen, a Democratic strategist. Hank Morris, a Democratic strategist. Paula Poundstone, certainly to the left. Marlena Schiavo to the left. David Eisenbach to the left. And yes, Mark Green. So no, don't tell me we don't have progressives on. We do, and that concludes this edition of. Another letter from Until next hour, keep asking questions.
1: This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk radio seventy-seven WABC. Now here's Frank Morano.
2: Can someone please tell Bob Brown that it's actually Frank Morano that's on the air now, not Dominic Carter? I mean, and I know a lot of people might be disappointed to hear that, but no, sorry, Bob Brown. It is Frank Morano, not Dominic Carter. You know, it's funny. I was talking to one of my colleagues here recently about how in social media they, you know, they, they hate on us, right? They, there's so much criticism. And, and that person said, yeah, but except for Dominic. Everyone loves Dominic. And that's true. Dominic is uh, universally loved. Uh, So apparently even by Bob Brown's trying to surreptitiously get Dominic Carter to host the 3 a.m. hour. Trust me, I know Dominic. He doesn't want to host the 3 a.m. hour. He's content to be done at 1 a.m. All right. A couple of things uh, that I want to get to, and then I'm going to get to your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 w ABC. So, uh, Elon Musk is a uh, rather eccentric billionaire. He's one of the wealthiest people on Earth. Sometimes he is, um, you know, sometimes he's the real wealthiest person on world in the world. Sometimes he's number two or the number three, depending on how well the Tesla stock is uh, is doing. But um, it is interesting that um you know i played a clip of elon musk talking about the the uh possibility that we're living in a computer simulation and so my wife was listening to the podcast this morning and she messaged me while i was asleep she said cuz i play this i do a radio show at home all the time only sometimes she's the only one listening if there's ever a person that comes over They get treated to a private radio show. I mean, even though I say I hate doing it, I end up doing it anyway. So uh, Rachel messaged me. I've now heard Elon Musk's computer simulation explanation three times, and I still don't see it. He says that because virtual reality is so good, the simulations are so good, we must be in a simulation. Why? That's so dumb. That's like saying the technology in cars is so that's like saying the technology in cars is so good now cars prevent crashes they tell you when to go at a red light we must all really be cars well i don't know i found the elon musk explanation a uh, a little bit more a little bit more logical than the rachel assertion or her her uh rebranding of it now elon musk has a private jet and there's a teenager i think he's 18 or 19 named Jack Sweeney, who is a freshman at the University of Central Florida. And he started a Twitter account basically just tracking Elon Musk's jet. That's the name of the Twitter account, Elon Musk's jet. And he just says where it's going. And it's all based on publicly available information. For instance, he'll tweet something like, took off from Austin, Texas, U.S., going to Brownsville, Texas, U.S. Uh, Stuff like that. And he's a kid, 19 years old, bright kid, knows aviation well, knows computer technology well. And he began tracking Elon Musk's Gulfstream. And um, he did this with other wealthy and famous people as well. He keeps he keeps tabs on Drake, Mark Cuban, Jeff Bezos, uh, Bill Gates, Donald Trump. A lot of wealthy celebrities. It's just kind of a fun hobby for him. And he just basically reports on where their private jet is going. And lo and behold, Elon Musk reaches out to this kid on Twitter. And he says, essentially, this is a security risk. Again, understand what's happening. He's just posting where the jet is going. And Elon Musk asks him, can you take this down? It's a security risk. And according to the kid, he offered him $5,000 to take it down to make it slightly harder for, in the words of Elon Musk, crazy people to track me. Um, It's very interesting. Then he declines that and uh, says that he would do it for $50,000, he would do it for a free Tesla, or he would do it for an internship. And so far, none of those three offers have been forthcoming. Uh, Speaking of Smirkanish, who I was talking about with with Richard Bay and who was on the show on Thursday, uh, this young man was on with michael smirconish and said that he actually really likes elon musk
19: you know so i was a fan of elon and tesla and spacex and everything he's got going on and i was just interested in where he was going it was just a hobby to see what business he was up to
2: and uh here's where the security threat comes in
19: you know i don't know if he's being completely truthful that it's all security maybe he just doesn't want to be seen and i don't think the security risk it it's not it's that big because even just recently Elon had a event in uh Texas and someone asked him if he would come to this public event and he said sure like if he can go to events like that i don't think he has that big of a security risk
2: so this young man Jack Sweeney got a job offer from a NetJets rival uh called Stratos Jet Charters which is an Orlando based private charter Flight firm, they were impressed with him enough to offer him a job on its tech development team. So not only did this young man turn down five thousand dollars, but a they offered him a free three-year lease for a Tesla vehicle, and he turned that. Who down. else are you
10: tracking, and why?
19: Uh, we have Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, uh, the Trump. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Mark Cuban, and, you know, just people are interested. After I started the first one, people were asking for others, so I started adding, adding them.
2: So anyway, he, he they offered him a complimentary three-year lease for a Tesla vehicle. He turns that down, and I'm wondering what you think should happen here. Um, here you have a young man who has a hobby, tracks the private jets of the rich and famous, and Elon Musk says it's a security threat. He offered him five grand. Then they offered him a three-year complimentary lease for a Tesla. He says, no, I'll do it for $50,000, I'll do it for a complimentary Tesla, or I'll do it for an internship. What do you think? Is this kid being unreasonable? Is Elon Musk being unreasonable? Eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc that's eight hundred eight four eight. 848 Nine two two two. Let me begin with Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil.
20: Hey Frank, I've listened to you for uh, ten years. Uh, how much are you gonna give me not to listen to you again? How
2: uh, how much are you uh, how much are you looking for? Uh
20: well, if you want a fifty thousand, I think that's a little hard. I'll go for the five thousand, Frank.
2: <laughs> I, I think that might even be a little out of my budget.
20: I think so. Anyway, the reason I'm calling it is because uh, you mentioned uh, the Anson-William pills. You know, I just had to— Well, I, it's at not
2: a—I I just want to be clear. It's not a pill. It's a it's drop. A it's basically I, a citrus drop that you drop on your tongue.
20: That's right. My mistake. My mistake, Frank. Uh, the reason I, I'm mentioning it is because I just had to take the new— uh, renew my six-hour driver safety course, which I did online uh, for my insurance discounts in, in, in New York State. And the number one cause of death driving is, of course, drunk driving. But what do you think number two is, Frank?
2: Well, uh, uh, you know, it's funny. According to Anson Williams, he said that drowsy driving exceeded both drunk and medicated driving.
20: Yeah, not according to them. Well, Uh, yeah, I mean, I believe you. Number two is is drowsy driving. 13% of the traffic deaths are due to drowsy driving. So, I mean, as much as I love you, Frank, and uh, since you're not going to pay me anything and I have to keep listening to your show, uh, I-, I think you have to re- reschedule your day or maybe nap at the office before you uh, actually leave and-, and drive throughout. Yeah, you.
10: well, again, uh,
20: we
2: love you too much, Frank. Well, I appreciate that, Neil. Thank you. Yes, trust me. I take every per- a lot of precautions not to fall asleep while driving, which is one of the reasons I got these drops. And so, uh, you know, I do pull over and take a nap, but... Uh, when you are getting drowsy and look, we, we've done whole segments on drowsy driving I, you know, there are different strategies that you can utilize. You get up out of the car, you walk around a little bit. Yeah. You, you know, you, you, I mean, I don't want to reiterate that whole all the strategies that people utilize. But I wanted to try these drops because uh, it's something that I know a lot of people listening to us deal with. And I wanted to give an honest review to them. And my my honest review is that they work OK. That's my honest review. But they don't work for more than 10 minutes. That's that's my honest review. You've got to keep using them. 800-848-9222. Rocco is in Selden. Hello, Rocco.
9: Yeah, you know, uh, I drove 44 years, 1,500 miles a week there. And talk radio kept me awake. I, uh, awake. I listened to Bob Grant back in the day. But sleep is very important. I'd like to say something about Elon Musk there. It was a week to 10 days ago he mentioned the $30 trillion of national debt there. you know, And I think I've never heard a globalist – I guess he's not a globalist if he's concerned about the debt in the United States of America. Um, I, I appreciate you clarifying your relationship with Curtis because – I found it offensive, but then I found it uh, hilarious. After that, you know, he always said that uh, Carmine was eleven pounds. Uh, it wasn't. He wasn't eleven pounds at birth. No, right?
2: No, he was uh, when he was born. I think he was. He was not. I think he was six pounds two ounces. Oh,
9: well, that's great. That's great. There, uh, in reference to the Sliwa, uh Wiener, two hours there. I enjoyed it. I listened there and, until he started praising uh Joe Biden. I, I I learned something there. I found that the uh the Democrats boy do they stick together, Frank Moreno. They stick together like uh I remember Eric Adams gave De Blasio a B plus rating. Uh Anthony Weiner said that uh uh, Joe Biden's doing a fabulous job. He, he said he's doing a fabulous job. It's amazing how they stick together and, and they never... Uh... Well, I mean,
2: that's his view of the world, Rocco. I'm not terribly surprised at that. I mean, that's kind of the whole concept of the show. You have Weiner who views the world from a more center-left Democratic perspective and then presumably Curtis that views it the other way. Thank you for the call, Rocco, Eight hundred eight four eight wabc Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy.
7: Hey, Frank. How you doing? Uh, love the shows. Thanks. Um, I, I feel that Curtis is uh, giving you attention, advertising. You yeah, I, pl- I love it. Let him do five hours a day it. on it. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, Curtis is promoting your
19: show as well as his. You know, it's good for both of you.
2: No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I'm grateful. Absolutely grateful for the uh, for the, for, the, for the the plugs. Absolutely.
21: I like your shows. I'll keep watching. I mean, I'll keep, I'll keep listening to
2: Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate that very much. Jacqueline is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jacqueline. Good morning, Frank. Good morning.
21: Um, regarding the topic that you were talking about uh, with Russia and Putin and Ukraine, you had made a couple of statements. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to first say that I um, – have the same sentiments you do. It's not a good idea for the United States to ostracize Russia, and more specifically Putin. But what you were mistaken about was when you stated that the other presidents had uh, tried to have open lines of communication. They did not.
10: Well, which President other presidents? Trump,
21: huh?
2: Which which other presidents?
21: You had mentioned Obama. Uh, you had mentioned uh, the first President Bush.
2: I said they really, wanted open lines of communication? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember saying that.
21: Because Trump, President Trump, was actually the first president since Ronald Reagan that openly stated that it was a good idea for the United States, rather than to ostracize Russia and more specifically Putin, currently, to have an open dialogue. Yeah, it no, can uh, only works to our uh, detriment, as you said.
2: A hundred percent. First of all, I, I think, and again, um, if if I said that. Uh, President, the you know other presidents had an open dialogue with Russia. Th- that was a misstatement. What I intended to say, if I didn't say it, was that all of the presidents uh, since uh, at least George W. Bush have instituted sanctions on Russia, including uh, Biden, Trump and Obama. That's w- what I had thought I said. But. Um, and i fa- and I said that was not an effective strategy, and I right. still believe that 's not an effective strategy and,
21: and not only do they impose sanctions, sanctions are one thing, but they were constantly pointing the finger at him and poking the bear as they say right
2: but uh, again, and one of the key reasons I supported Trump in two thousand and sixteen was because I loved what he was saying uh on in the campaign during uh, you know with respect to russia but uh, I was a little disappointed not only in some of his actions uh, with respect to Russia, but some of the rhetoric. Now, he bombed uh, Syria without congressional approval, which was a client state of Russia. He then went to Europe and publicly embarrassed Germany from tri- from purchasing energy uh, from Russia. And that's not the actions of a friend. Um, and then he signed and says it lost sanctions and, and expelled Russian diplomats. So, uh, again... Trump in 2016, and even while he was president, he said a lot of the right things, again, right things, in my view, the right things. But he was actually very, very much tougher on Russia than his critics would have you believe. And I believe, and again, I've done this whole thing before. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole again. But I believe that he did that because of the Mueller probe and because there was this narrative in the media that he was a Russian agent somehow. And because he, had, he felt, I believe, that he had to prove himself as being tough on Russia. I'm not a Russian agent. I'm so tough. So I'm not only going to institute sanctions. I'm going to bomb Syria, a, a Russian client state. Uh, I'm also going to publicly embarrass Germany for daring to buy energy from Russia. Well, yeah, okay, that's what countries do. So um, I will never get over the people that got us into this Russia probe because and Professor Stephen Cohn, again, another progressive, in one of the many conversations that I had with him over the years before he died, and I miss him every day, especially when we're going through what we're going through now. He pointed out how dangerous these Russia gate people were to national security. So um Again, I, I I voted for Trump in 2022. That wasn't the only reason I voted for him, but uh, that was one of my big disappointments with with Trump. And then he appointed people like John Bolton and General Mattis and H.R. McMaster and General Kelly and all these people that did not have the kind of Russia philosophy that uh, that he had campaigned on. So, all right, I, we've done enough Russia talk. I, I, I'm getting depressed. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. <laughs>
3: Hey, good morning, Frank. How you doing? Yeah, about uh, a year or two ago, I had mentioned to you that about uh, Poxy there with his uh, uncle's invention. And, uh, you know, I tried to explain before you, you said, I'm going to maybe get him as a guest. And you did get him as a guest. That was a great thing. But here's the thing. I've been in the same business as you as far as uh, always having to be up at night. And I tried everything in the book. And over the years, I picked up quite a few. And I know you don't have the time for it and you've gone through it all. But if you do have two or three minutes, I'll tell you some. If one of them helps, you know, it might help you. Could I do that? Well, sure, please. Yeah. Okay, here's a story. You, when, before, let, me, let me just ask you two things. Is there a shower where you are in the office there, and is there a nap place? I know they said they were going to work on getting yes, a nap Yes, yes, we
2: there. have a great nap
3: place, yes. And you have a shower place?
2: Uh, I don't think there is a shower place. I'm not sure about that.
3: Okay, well, that's too bad, because that would have helped. But here's the story. Before you proceed into that call, you're going to be like a pilot going through a checklist. You got to go west. Staten Island, 40 minutes to 60 minutes, depending, you know, traffic, right? So you got to plan that trip. So you got two. you have a whole bunch of tools in your chest. Some are going to be food and some are going to be things to keep you alert. Let's start with the things to keep you alert. There's the old school, AC, keep the windows open, put the radio on loud, right? But then there's other things. You can get one of those $30 massage chair things that's going to keep you involved. You could uh, buy vi- vapor rub. Well, again, you know, we, we
2: did a whole hour on strategies to keep people awake uh, while driving. I mean, is there anything beyond okay. additional? So let, me go
3: back to ling- let me go back to the lingual nerve. Here's what's happening. The reason that whole thing works is because it's working on citrus, on the, the back of right. the mouth, the lingual. Much better, much, much better to get grapefruit, mandarin, uh, not mandarin, uh, grapefruit, uh, uh, tangerines, kiwi, strawberries, raspberries and blueberries. Put them in a little Tupperware, keep it all light in there. When you leave, you have these. What this does is it's gonna hit the lingual nerve, it's gonna give you energy, but much better than a little bit of a drop, okay? And, And the other thing is you engage the tactile feel of your mouth. It's as if you're eating popcorn, or if you had a Slim Jim, what you're doing is you're saying, "Oh, oh!" All
2: right, out. Matt, Matt Blaze is right, rapping me. I, I got to run. He, and again, we, 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 remember we, that's why we have that Academy Award music, right? So mm-hmm. that's when we play it instead of just, you know, just giving me that break signal. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the auto Matt, with with uh, the 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 director of a terrific documentary, Lisa Hurwitz. Uh, She is a uh, first-time documentarian, actually, and she made this wonderful film that I saw yesterday and I can't recommend highly enough. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll talk about The Automat straight
4: ahead.
1: WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
4: Some people just adore martinis, others love iced tea. In Venice, they all go for berinis, but coffee, that's for me. I've tasted every kind of brew at every coffee shop. Some were good and some were great. But this one was the top. There was nothing like the coffee at the automat. Its aroma and its flavor were supreme. Your ears do not From deceive you. Diamond. That is
2: the gravelly, comedic voice of the one and only Mel Brooks. Even though he's in his 90s, he is not only still going strong, it seems like he's more active than ever. And uh, now with uh, Carl Reiner having passed away, it seems like he's doing the work of two. And that is uh, one of the terrific songs that you'll hear, pretty much the anthem of uh, the terrific documentary The Automat, which is a terrific documentary film that I just saw yesterday, and I absolutely love it. Uh, The only people that will love this film more than people who remember the Automat and used to go to the Automat and enjoyed going to the Automat... Are people who've never been to an automat and will enjoy learning about this fascinating, fascinating window into New York City history, Philadelphia history, and really uh, an incredible part of what made the 20th century. So interesting, and I am just thrilled uh, that we have joining us this morning the director and producer of the documentary The Automat, America's original and most beloved restaurant chain in New York City and Philadelphia, the one and only Lisa Hurwitz. Lisa, thanks for joining me on the radio. Thanks, Frank, for this invite. Uh, Well, congratulations on the film. I absolutely loved it. As I've told you off air, I I hope you win every award there is. And uh, this strikes me as such a creative, original idea for a documentary. And before I ask you what what sparked this idea and how you got involved in the project, we have now... Thirty years worth of living without the automat. There's a generation and a half of people who've been born who don't even remember what it was like to go into an automat. Explain to those folks. Explain to people uh, who might not have ever been to New York and Philly because we do have listeners all over the country. What was the automat?
22: I have to admit, though, and I can do a great job of explaining, but I'm I fall into this group of people who never got to go to one. But as you'll gather from seeing the film, I am quite enamored by them. And so I, you know, made it my purpose in life for uh, quite a few years to, you know, figure out what happened and to tell the story. So an automat, essentially, well, a horn and hard art automat, because they're not synonymous with one another, but at a horn and hard art, you'd go into these large, beautiful, In New York City, where the walls were lined with what looked like vending machines but were little glass windows where you would put coins in a slot and take the food out, and there would be communal seating where people would share tables with one another. There would be steam tables and counters uh, where you would go and change your dollars into nickels, and they were these very idealistic emporiums of food and of uh, space that could be shared by New Yorkers and Philadelphians and the visitors coming to both cities. Well,
2: I kind of took a guess that you were not old enough to have ever been uh, to an automat or you might have been very young when when you went to one. And that leads me to my first question is what sparked your interest in this? I know you dedicated the film uh, to some family members of yours that probably did attend the Automat regularly. But was that it, a familial uh, uh, loyalty to this restaurant chain, or was it something else?
22: None of my relatives that I'm aware of have ever eaten at the Automat. I discovered the Automat in my college library I loved eating in my school cafeteria, and I was just on this cafeteria kick, reading about cafeterias, going through old articles, and I came across the Horn and Hardart automat. and so it really clicked uh, with me and I, you know, I just couldn't let go. I just kept running with it.
2: All right, well, you did just an incredible job. It really is a, a wonderful, wonderful film. And I'd like to play a portion of uh, the trailer if folks are unfamiliar with it. This is a portion of the trailer from uh, the documentary film The Automat. Automat. Right. I have
17: the silverware. Here comes the actors.
4: It was right near
1: the theaters, and the food was so fresh.
4: From a silver dolphin spout, the coffee poured right out. Not to mention, at the end, a little spurt of cream. There was nothing like the coffee at the automat. I love those little windows that opened. And sometimes what you wanted was missing, and you knocked on the window. waved to the person. (laughs) You have to understand they had no latte grande, no quizzical baristas in your way.
13: Life changes, things change, we all get a little older, but the older you get, the more you reflect back on what came in the beginning, in the Horn and Heartets and the Automats of the world.
4: And for just a shiny nickel, you taste what you could with that wonderful, magnificent, unbelievable, awesome coffee. Lisa, first of
2: all, I'm amazed that this is your first film because the production value of this is just extraordinary. I'm also amazed at the caliber of person that you got to be in this. Uh, we just heard Mel Brooks now twice. Uh, you've got Colin Powell, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elliot Gould, Carl Reiner, a whole, uh, an Automat historian, a lot of people involved in uh, who had worked at the Automat, uh, a lot of people who talk about how the Automat really affected them. How did you get so many larger than life stars including many that uh, uh passed away in the last couple of years how did you get so many to participate in a documentary about a, a restaurant chain
22: I think it's two things first is that it was a really important place for a lot of people and so you know it wasn't so hard to get them to say yes because they they wanted to preserve the memory and then the second piece is that I'm, you know, I'm persistent, and, you know, I'm smart. I was able to find the right people, and, you know, make my case, and, uh, and then execute.
2: Uh, you you certainly are uh, all those things, and how. It was interesting to me, and I don't know that I realized this before watching your documentary, that uh, the Automat uh, was only in New York and Philly. If it did so well, particularly in the late 40s, early 50s, in both of those cities, why wasn't it expanded into other cities as well, maybe even the suburbs?
22: So they did try to expand to Boston and Chicago. In the early 20s and it was not it did not go so well part of what made them so successful was how developed New York and Philadelphia were the the volume of stores that they had it allowed them to have a you know a central commissary where they could have really like large volumes of food and they just weren't able to build up the systems and figure it out in those cities, and they decided to just focus on what was, you know, working for them. And I really don't think that there's any shame in you know modern business. We're just we're getting so accustomed to seeing you know global companies and nationwide companies, but I I think it's a really beautiful thing to actually kind of you know have your your zone and to develop your zone and, and leave the the rest to you know, to everyone else to, you know, focus on. You know what you do best, and leave, leave the rest to other people.
2: Oh, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that's one of the things that uh, I I shake my head at most in 21st century America is that you visit New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Sheboygan, Nebraska, and uh, every place looks the same because they all have a CVS, a Subway sandwich shop. I love the idea of local chains that add to the flavor of uh, a city, and it certainly seems like uh, Horn and Hardart certainly did that. Now. Uh, Just to get a little clarification for folks uh, and for me. On what you alluded to, you mentioned that the automat and horn and Hardart were not synonymous. And I learned in your documentary that in Philadelphia, you were more likely to call it. it they were more likely to be called these these chain restaurants horn and hard in New York. They were more likely to be called the automat. Why that difference in in phraseology? And what actually is the difference between the automat and horn and Hardart?
22: Well, the Automat is a concept, and there were other Automats run by other companies in different states and different countries, but Horn and Hardart was the name of the company, and their concept that they popularized was called the Automat. So people all the time tell me, you know, I think think we had an Automat in, you know, California or, you know, whatever state, and they probably did, but Horn and Hardart of all the different, you know, chains in the U.S. they were the ones that really took off and so that's why it's become a little synonymous but in reality you know it was the horn and hard art automat and so you know automat they don't really own they don't own that word
2: understood understood it's like uh, th- there could be many different types of uh, of delis but there's only one Katz's Exactly. Understood. Uh, if, be- sure. if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Lisa Hurwitz. She's the director and producer of the documentary The Automat. Uh, you can learn more about it by going to the website automatmovie.com. It's a terrific documentary, and uh, I think it's one of the best ones that I've seen in a long time.
22: And I and know- By the way, we open this. Friday at Film Forum in Greenwich Village.
2: I was just going to ask that. What is the best way uh, for people to see it? Uh, Is is there an on demand viewing option like uh, with with a lot of things now, or is is that the best way to people for people to see it in theaters beginning this Friday?
22: So we're starting with New York and LA. We're opening in New York this Friday and in LA next Friday. And for the, for the time being in those places, uh, you've got to go in person. And it's going to be in New York, it's going to be showing six times a day, at least for a couple of weeks, maybe longer if, you know, the demand is there. But uh, we open in at, on February 18th at Film Forum in Greenwich Village and eventually will be available for people to watch from home. We're playing a lot of film festivals all around the country. Some of the film festivals are offering on-demand options where you can either watch it from home or go in person to the festival. But uh, like we were talking about before, about you know keeping things local, I really like you know before it goes on to you know streaming platforms. I like it that we're first giving the film to. Uh, individual film festivals and letting them bring it to their communities. And then it's going to become uh, very widely available uh, probably in around June, but for now, Uh, AutomatMovie.com. We've got a
2: screenings page. Yeah, it seems appropriate that uh, a documentary, which is very much a throwback to recent nostalgia, would encourage people to be doing something that's relatively nostalgic these days and go to an actual movie theater to see it. Uh, So I wish you the the best of luck, and I hope a lot of our listeners will go to the Film Forum and uh, check it out. Now, I know that you uh, have an Automat historian in the film, and you speak to a lot of the people that were involved in the automat company and the children and grandchildren uh, that were involved in horn and hard art but what is if you were to put your finger on what made the automat concept so successful and the horn and hard art spin on the automat so successful what would it be
22: that's such a good question because it's so true and they really they beat out all of their competitors For the longest time. And as we, you know, touch, touch on in the film during the Great Depression, which before the Great Depression, it was just such a thriving time for cafeterias in New York City. And most of them didn't survive the Great Depression. But Horn and Hard Art was such a reliable place for a nice atmosphere, really high quality food, a very welcoming space. And Gosh, it was just it was just such a wonderful place to go. It was a, It was like a second home for so many people. and you could just really hang out there for as long as you wanted. They were really spacious. They, they were just so good. and I, I really think that that's, that's what has to do with why they beat everyone else out. There was just something really, and a lot of people would describe it as you know magical about them and it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly but i have um you know people d- the, the name horn and heart the company was purchased and a family does still own it and they did try to you know keep it going and bring it back and something interesting that they said to me is that you can't compete with people's memories
4: mm. is
22: something that they've learned in the process of trying to to bring it back and there was just this specialness about it that you know no one else could replicate. And also that was so generational. The automat was passed down uh, by grandparents to, to, to children, to their children. So people just really associate it with um, you know loved ones. Uh, there's just so many, so many reasons, but I think it just comes down to you know great quality, Great price. And then, you know, all these memories that are connected to the place.
2: Mm. Uh, And and what went wrong for Horn and Hardart? I I know the last... Uh, Horn and Hardart Automat closed in 1991. It was just about seven or eight blocks from where I'm sitting right now. How could a franchise that did so well in New York and Philadelphia and meant so much to so many people just uh, go out of business? I mean, it's difficult to imagine a a, a restaurant like uh, McDonald's or Subway or uh, Dunkin' Donuts going out of business. But for a lot of New Yorkers and a lot of Philadelphians, that must, have been what it seemed like when the automat went
17: away
22: i interviewed howard schultz for the film as well who's one of the founders of starbucks and something that he said to me that didn't actually make it into the film but that really stuck with me is that you can't take your success for granted and you've really got to fight for it every single day and i think that horn and hard art started to take it for granted. and I don't think that they were planning far enough out and that they were able to forecast fast food and the changing eating trends, the changing demographic trends. Horn and Hardart was, you know, depending on a system with a city that was just full of people. But people moved out of the city. They moved to the suburbs after World War II. And they were a system that was built on volume, and they had a really hard time scaling back. So I think that this had a lot to do with it. And then we don't get into it so much in the film. It was, you know, we we, we discussed whether we wanted to do it or not, but there was some toxic leadership in the company as well. And the horns and the hard arts were pushed out of the company. But you have to keep in mind that, you know, this was a this was a very family oriented company and that i think business was becoming a lot more complicated and you know the, the world was changing and we were talking about simpler times before and horn and Hardart kind of lacked some of the sophistication that i think it would have needed in order to survive in a more cutthroat business landscape for all
2: the people that you spoke to the famous and the non-famous alike what were the common trends of their fondest recollections from the automat aside from the food? A lot of them uh, go on and on to talk about the quality of the food and how good it was and how inexpensive it was. But beyond the quality of the food and the price, what was it that people really seemed to enjoy about the automat
22: experience? The biggest one that I get has to do with remembering going there. I went there. My mom brought me there. My grandma brought me there. I remember going there as a kid, and they gave me all these nickels, and I could choose what I wanted, and I was, you know, free. Uh, These are kind of the the biggest ones, actually.
2: It it does seem like uh, at a time when— The country was still trying to deal with civil rights and integration and uh, different socioeconomic classes interacting with one another, that this was a place that was totally populist, totally egalitarian before it was fashionable to do so.
22: Well, I will say that New York City and Philadelphia, for the most part, were already pretty integrated. But the automat sort of became like a an emblem to represent what was going on in these cities because it was such a, a major place that everyone went to. So it started to represent something. But for the most there were some things that were still segregated. But you know, Horn and Harder was just a place that everyone went to and anyone could go to. And as as you will see when you watch the film the restaurant is sort of a window onto America in the 20th century and the changes that we were going through uh, during that time. And, you know, we see the automat change and we see America change. So it's it's definitely a, when you, when we – and we do address, you know, diversity and inclusion in the film and we have a diverse cast. And they address, you know, what the Automat meant for them in terms of inclusivity. And, you know, fortunately, it, it um we didn't have to force it because it's just the reality of what what the automat was. So I've always felt that this was an important story to tell. I think that there's some very relevant lessons for us to to not forget, I think that this is a, a beautiful example of an experiment in our society that went incredibly well for a long time. It Almost a, a
2: 90 place.
4: years, right?
22: Yes, and it was this place of togetherness. It, it, was, it was innocent. It was, it was a private company serving the interests of the public, providing a very useful service. And they still made a profit, uh, but we still got something that we needed. And, you know, people were rubbing elbows with one another. It, it for I recently went to – I was at an airport, and I needed to get something to eat, and there were no open tables, and I really just needed – I had to get going. I needed a place to sit down, and it was hard. I had to ask somebody. Somebody had an empty seat who he was – is a guy sitting at a table and I, I had to ask him, can I sit across from you? And it was, it was hard to do that. It didn't come naturally, but that's in the past. That wouldn't have been awkward and you wouldn't even had to ask. You could have just sat down. So, you know, I, I, I think there's some, some th- you'll see it when you watch the film, but I just think there's some things that we've lost that are, you know, really healthy and worth bringing back.
2: Absolutely, and you heard Mel Brooks there singing about the the coffee at the automat. That seems to be a common trend with people mentioning how great the coffee was. Not only was it a nickel, but uh, it seems like uh, they really enjoyed the dolphin delivery system and the flavor of the coffee itself. In your, in your view, obviously you've never tried the coffee, but in your view, is the recollection that people have of how great the coffee was, is that improved through the prism of nostalgia or was this coffee actually that good?
22: Well, coffee in New York City was five cents everywhere for the longest time and Horn and Hardart kept it at five cents longer than everybody else, but i I can't say that I think it has to do with the quality of the coffee solely, but I really think that that Italian inspired dolphin spout that the coffee came out of. And that was another thing when people are telling me about all their favorite memories, it really has to do with, you know, the hot chocolate, the the coffee coming out of these beautiful dolphin spigots. Some people thought were lions, but I think it was a combination of having really good coffee and then just having a beautiful, uh, as Marianne Hardart says in the film, uh, delivery of it. I mean, who would think to serve coffee out of a silver dolphin?
2: What were some of the other favorite menu items that people mentioned?
22: Oh, gosh. Well, the baked beans, the macaroni and cheese, the the chicken salad sandwich, the, the lemon meringue pie, the apple pie. Uh, Sometimes I I heard it was served with vanilla cream sauce. Mm. Uh, I've heard all sorts of there. They had so many kinds of pies. When I interviewed Mel Brooks, he just, he went on and on and on about the pies and we were only able to include a (laughs) fraction of the pies he discussed in the film. But like I, he literally, I think, had every single pie there, and he remembered every single one. <laughs> that is... And, uh, told me about it. So uh, that's look for the You know, the DVD extras.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Trust me. I'm going to try and uh, order my copy in advance. Uh, one of the other things I really enjoyed about your film, and it's one of the things that I had no- noticed about the Automat over the years, was its place in popular culture. It really was a setting in so many dish- different Movies, television programs, talk shows, uh, live publicity stunts, even cartoons. And I I don't know that I had a full comprehension of the scope with which the idea of the automat permeated popular culture. But you had this uh, whole uh, multiple generations of students and uh, children and adults alike all growing up, seeing the automat on television, hearing about it on radio. And it's great that uh, that your film has uh, has sort of kept that tradition alive. And uh, I really do hope people check out the film. It's going to start at the film forum this Friday. You can get details by going to automatmovie.com. You know, by the way, I, I noticed when I was watching the credits that you thanked a lot of donors for the film. Was this film crowdfunded? Is that how it got made?
22: It was a crowdfunded film. We had so many supporters. It's a very grassroots project and I'm, that's part of why I think that's part of why it's so great. Um, And a lot of the photos actually, you know, are crowdsourced uh, as well. I was, you know, running ads on Facebook, trying to find people who had had stuff that could be included in the film and It worked. So you'll see in the credits also, there's a very long list of archival sources, many of which are individual people.
2: Wow. Uh, That is uh, really wild. And uh, it's a phenomenal film. And I think that uh, the way this film was made uh, seems very, very true to the populist tradition of the automat itself. Uh, Hope everybody sees it. Lisa, I want to wish you the best of luck with it. I enjoyed it immensely.
22: Oh, thank you, Frank, so much, really. Thank you. And if you
2: want to call in and comment on your recollection of the Automat, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Again, you can check out the film this Friday at the Film Forum and uh, check out the website, AutomatMovie.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead.
4: W A B C.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano, 77 WABC. Well, she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind i like to flaunt and take to dinner. But she always knows her place. She's got style, she's got grace. She's a win.
2: Tom Jones here on the other side of Midnight. Yeah, I'm Frank Moreno. So I, I, meant, I meant to mention this yesterday, but, you know, this is what I'm saying. You know, a, a friend of mine texted me over the weekend and was listening to the Get Out Frank uh, hour from Friday, which, uh, according to Molly, is our most downloaded hour from the week. And what he said to me, well, there was a question about if I could be on any hours, what would it be? And what I said was... I would be on these hours only to have one more hour. And the truth is, as much as we cover on this show, I don't get to cover nearly as much as I want to. There's a lot of stuff that I don't get to. And one of the things that I didn't get to mention yesterday was on Saturday, my wife and I actually went to a show. Can you believe it? So I, for some reason, am always of the opinion that everybody is... Doesn't want to go anywhere, just like I don't want to go anywhere. And uh, I occasionally need to be shocked into reality that, no, people actually like going to things. So um, I was offered tickets on Saturday night to the Talking Sopranos uh, podcast taping. It's not really a podcast. tape; it's more like a live show with uh, Michael Imperioli, who plays Christopher, and uh, Steve Sharippa who plays Bobby Bacala on The Sopranos. And uh, Vincent uh, Pastore, who plays Big Pussy on The Sopranos. And I figured, you know, uh, Rachel's not going to want to go. We have plans earlier in the day to visit the Silversteins. And, you know, we got the baby and everything. And so I basically just in passing said, oh, you know, we were offered tickets to this. And she said, oh, we we were. Oh, well, let's go. So we ended up going. I figured that would be our way to go out for Valentine's Day is uh, go out for the evening. And my sister came over and watched uh, Little Carmine, which is very nice of her. And uh, the two of us went to this show at the beautiful St. George Theater. And it was fun. It was really good. I, I listened to this podcast. This is the, one of the podcasts that I listen to most regularly. And uh, she's a fan. And we both liked it. We both liked the show. And uh, I think that if you're a fan of the series, you would probably like it as well. And what Rachel said to me, though, is the highlight of the evening for her was to just be out for an hour or two without our son and be not having to worry about him crying and to enjoy a show and an Aperol spritz uh, for, you know, for a short time, which she got to do. I was glad she got to a little bit of a break, and I was glad she had fun. But it just so happens on Sunday night with the Super Bowl, one of the commercials that everybody was talking about, was also Sopranos-related. And it just goes to show you what an impact this show has left on popular culture over the years. I mean, the show's been off the air 15 years. People are still talking about it. This was a Chevy commercial for their new electric vehicle. Now, I didn't see it during the Super Bowl itself because I was wrapped up entertaining people. And Rachel didn't see it either. And she was complaining to me today of how our days of hosting Super Bowl parties Have to be over. And uh, I agreed with her on this because you get so wrapped up in hosting people, you don't really get to watch the game. And she was complaining to me how some of the guests were saying to her they don't even care about the game. And they were just bothering her the whole time. Well, bothering, talking to her and stuff. It's over, Johnny. And she would say... It's over. It's over. And she was saying to me, well you know if you're not if you don't want to watch the game or the television broadcast, why are you here? What are you talking to me for? All you're doing is keeping me from watching the game and she said her favorite guests were the people that just sat there and watched television and ate and didn't necessarily want to talk to her that much and keep her from watching the the game and the commercials and so forth so forth but so there was the there was this Chevy commercial, and it's it's Jamie Lynn Seigler. Who plays Meadow Soprano on the show? And she is driving a truck just like her father, Tony Soprano, does in the opening credits of The Sopranos. And then you see her get out and hug Robert Eiler, who plays her brother on the show. And uh, you hear this is a little bit of what you hear. Got
14: Got the first ever all electric Chevy Silverado. A whole new truck
16: for a whole new generation.
2: So I thought it was an effective commercial, and you can watch it, uh, but basically the premise is, oh, Tony Soprano and his generation, he drove a big, you know, gas-guzzling truck. His children, they're the next generation. They're going to drive an electric vehicle. So when I finally got around to seeing it, and I'm sorry I didn't get to see it during the game, but I I didn't really see anything. In fact, my friend Peter, I think it was towards the end of the second quarter, He said to me when I finally sat down for a few minutes, he says, you have no idea what's going on in this game, do you? I said, no, I couldn't even tell you what the score is. And uh, and that was true. So next year, we're we're chastened by our experience. Uh, Ellen, Jay, Al, Rob, Elaine, Frank, Carol uh, or E. Frank, excuse me. We will get to you after the top of the hour. I don't want to rush you through your phone call. No guests next hour. So you will have an opportunity to comment as you see fit. Eight hundred eight four eight wabc And um, some interesting news out of this, uh, this defamation suit involving uh, Sarah Palin. I'll bring you the latest on that. Uh, updates on the Andrew Cuomo situation. And I uh, finally got around to see another film. This weekend. We saw it in five parts, but we, we saw it. I'll tell you about that as well. This is the other side of midnight, 800 848 9222. My email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. On Twitter, at frank, M O R A N O. Until next hour, your influence counts. So use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. A couple of items that are pseudo-legal in nature that I want to uh, comment on. And uh, I'll tell you what's happening. I'll give you my quick take. Boom, boom, boom. And then I'll invite you to comment at 800-848-9222. I don't think I need to keep giving this disclaimer every time I mention this person's name. However, I will do it one last time. I was never a fan and have never been a supporter of Andrew Cuomo. I have never voted for Andrew Cuomo for anything. And I vow to go to my grave, never having voted for Andrew Cuomo for anything. I think he was a terrible governor. That being said, I think he was totally railroaded with respect to the sexual harassment uh, probe that drew him from that, uh, threw him from office. And the more we learn about this probe by Tish James, the more we learn what a kangaroo court this was. Now, Andrew Cuomo, who, in addition to being the former governor, is also the former attorney general, had also been a prosecutor for Robert Morgenthau and had a pretty distinguished legal career. Andrew Cuomo is now filing a complaint against the attorney general, Tish James, with the judicial entity that has the power to disbar attorneys. So she released uh, a report in August that concluded that he sexually harassed 11 with resignation. We know all that. Since then, five separate DAs, any one of whom would have loved to have bring a, brought a case against Andrew Cuomo on this front. Five, count them, five separate DAs have since said they found Cuomo's accusers credible But they didn't have enough evidence to bring criminal charges. And again, this is in an era where a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich, or in the case of the Automat, a ham and cheese sandwich with mustard. Now, you have a situation where Cuomo has filed this complaint with the um, committee in New York that can disbar attorneys. I can't imagine that they're going to... Um, actually disbar Tish James over this. I think this is more about, I don't know, publicity, and this is more about Andrew Cuomo seeking some sort of vindication. But can you imagine if they did? I would love to see, not just with respect to this, but I would love to see, in general, prosecutors held accountable for railroading people. And so Rita Glavin is Andrew Cuomo's attorney. And she was on the Cats at Night show on Friday, and she, I think, made a very compelling case that, look, and she had a a press conference on Thursday, and she said, look, we have rules of professional conduct that we have to follow in the state of New York, and one of the rules is that attorneys should not engage in conduct that's prejudicial to the administration of justice. Now, Andrew Cuomo did that all the time, by the way. So now that the, that the tables are turned on him, it's so interesting to see this newfound respect for due process.
0: But anyway, this was
2: Rita Glavin on the Cats at Night show Friday.
0: This was a, a public political show. Uh, the attorney general drops a 165-page report on August 3rd accusing the governor of all types of things, and then she refuses to give me access to any of the evidence, okay? I I wanted all the evidence. All I was given was the report, and they said, well, there's exhibits attached to the report. No, the exhibits were minuscule. Uh, They wouldn't give me the transcripts. Um, They wouldn't give me the informal interview memos of the 138 people that weren't um, uh, interviewed under – with the transcription or under oath. And we ask for that when the reason we're asking for that is how do you respond to that? Because they announce a report. She does one of the most prejudicial press conferences I've ever seen in my life. And how do you respond when they don't give you access to the evidence? Uh, How do you? And again, I I hate
2: to be in in a position to defend Andrew Cuomo when it comes to anything. But the bottom line is when you have principles, you have to stick with them, whether that benefits Andrew Cuomo or not. Rita Glavin's exactly right. Five criminal investigations indicated there was not enough evidence to charge Andrew Cuomo with a crime at all. And yet, Letitia James comes out with this report, which ultimately drives him from office.
0: To say that the governor would do this at an outdoor event with dozens of people around who follow him around with their cell phones taking videos, it's just, it's, it's, not believable. And, um, you know, how does the attorney general not include those pictures in the report? How did the attorney general's investigators not show those pictures to the governor in his own testimony and say, do you remember this event? Do you remember meeting this woman that day? They didn't do that. And there was a reason why the attorney general didn't want to give us the evidence. We've only gotten a sliver of it. But how do you go out in the world Tell everyone, you know, that the governor, and she still keeps saying it today, um, you know, the attorney general's office is into name calling and rhetoric, but they're not into facts and answering substantive questions. And every time I raise something, they won't answer a specific question. Why didn't they include those photos in the report? Uh,
2: Good questions all. And uh, again, I don't know that Andrew Cuomo will run for attorney general this year, but he's definitely going to emerge politically. And something tells me this issue is not going away. And it's clear to me, even if it's not clear to you, it's clear to me that Tish James pushed Andrew Cuomo out for whatever reason, for whatever reason. So that's issue one. Um, I'm eager to see where that complaint with the uh, this this committee ends up going. Now, here's another interesting case, and it's a case that I don't necessarily understand. It's a decision rather that I don't necessarily understand. A judge here in New York has ruled that a libel lawsuit by that former governor of Alaska Sarah Palin filed against the New York Times over a 2017 editorial should be thrown out because her lawyers failed to produce adequate evidence that the newspaper knew what it wrote about her was false or acted recklessly towards indications that it was false. This is a ruling uh, yesterday from U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff. And by the way, this is a judge that I just love. I've been a litigant in cases before him. I found, and it's not because he sided with me in one particular case, but I found him to be a tremendous judge. I've sat in court and just watched him. On different cases. I find him intelligent. I find him fair. And I find that uh, 80 or 90% of the time. I agree with what he says. And when he just does choose to speak out on different issues. I think. Uh, I find myself agreeing with him. But look. It, it, my fondness for someone. Has nothing to do with my agreeing with them or not. This is an intellectual. This is a very very intellectual judge. And he's somebody that I really admire. Now. Judge Rakoff throws out this case on Monday as the jury was deliberating. And I, for the life of me, don't understand uh, what what the situation was. And I, I um, have yet to hear a good analysis from a lawyer or a an legal analyst as to why Judge Rakoff wouldn't simply let the jury make a decision on this case. He allows the whole case to go forward, allows all these witnesses to be heard, and then once the while the jury's deliberating, he throws it out. I, I don't understand why he wouldn't have let just let the jury make this decision. The jury instruction that Judge Rakoff gave them was so slanted. Not I mean, and I I say slanted, not that he was doing anything uh, improper, but if you read the jury charge which is the instruction that you give to the, the jury. If you read the jury charge, if you were taking your oath as a juror seriously and you went with his instruction as to what the law says and what the law would require the jury to find, they were going to find in the Times' his favor. So I don't know why he would give go to the trouble of giving such a detailed charge and then take it out of the hands of the jury. I don't understand this decision at all, but there's a reason I'm not a federal judge. So that's uh, issue number two in the news. And this is the last one. This has been on my list for four weeks, and I have to get it off my chest. So it's beyond ripe. Another judge has dismissed the wrongful death lawsuit filed by Whitey Bulger's estate. Now, Whitey Bulger was a criminal a leader of a notorious Boston mob. And they he was, for a while, the most wanted man in the world after Osama bin Laden died. There a big manhunt for him. They couldn't find him. Oh, the interesting thing about him is he was also working with the FBI at the time. Shows you what kind of operators are within some ranks of the FBI. And they finally caught him. They put him on trial. He gets convicted. They send him to prison. And they transfer him in 2018 to a violent federal prison. This was The guy was 89 years old and in a wheelchair, I think a diaper at the time, too. They transfer him to a violent federal prison in West Virginia. It just so happens they put him in general population, not a special housing unit, not isolated from anybody. They put him in general population, and he's beaten to death, beaten to death. This is one of the most high-profile prisoners, not in the United States, but in the world. I mean, it's Epstein-esque. And they put him in general population. So, look, his family says, excuse me, maybe you shouldn't put... Oh, Oh, by the way, they put him in general population with criminal rivals of his. They put him in there with people that he had a beef with who were violent criminals out on the street. When they were out on the street together, they, they were rivals, and they put him in the same prison, in general population, and clearly didn't adequately protect him. And so his nephew, on behalf of the Bulger family, sues. Wrongful death suit. And by the way, his brother was the uh, most powerful pop, uh, politician in Massachusetts for a long time. Fascinating uh, situation. His uh, His case was the basis for the film The Departed. And their brotherhood relationship was the basis for the, um, the show, The Brotherhood. And then they made a movie specifically about Whitey Bulger, where Johnny Depp played, um, played Whitey Bulger. And uh, I saw the movie. It was okay. It was okay. Um, they're, they're, they could have done better with that. But uh, that movie, uh, let me tell you the title of that in case you want to see it. Black Mass. That's the name of that film. It was it was Okay. It was okay. It's not a must see. But in any event, I thought this lawsuit had a lot of merit. How do you put a guy like Whitey Bulger at 89 years old in a prison like this in general population with his criminal rivals? And yet, another federal judge, Justin, uh, excuse me, John Preston Bailey, ruled that Congress had given courts little power to intervene in prison housing decisions or to allow prisoners to sue prison officers for damages. I find this decision by Judge Bailey to throw out this wrongful death suit to be a frightening decision. Because now, if there's somebody that's a prisoner like, like uh, Whitey Bulger or Jeffrey Epstein, that is a little too inconvenient for the government, this gives a green light to prison officials to put them in the most dangerous circumstances possible so that they're beaten to death. Keep in mind with what the situation was with Whitey Bulger. This is a man who worked with the FBI for years. In fact, his FBI agent, John Connolly, actually gave uh, Whitey Bulger information that might have helped him carry out murders. And then he went to prison for that. He went to prison. The agent, the FBI agent went to prison for helping Whitey Bulger um, commit crimes. He was so in bed with the FBI that they used the information that Whitey Bulger was giving them to lock up all sorts of criminals all over New England. Don't you think he might have had some dirt about what the federal government was up to? A guy that's getting tipped off by his FBI agent handler. I do. I do. And I think they didn't want him around because who knows what he would have said. And this was one of those, uh, I don't think they had him whacked, but I think they, uh, they sort of closed their eyes and set up a situation where he would be whacked. And I find this decision really confusing to dismiss this wrongful death suit so those are the three cases um comment on any of them if you like comment on anything else we've covered you want to comment on on anything that we've done for the preceding three hours and 16 minutes now's the time 1-800-848-9222 that's one eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc that's 1-800-848-9222 let me say hello uh, first to rob in white plains hello rob yeah, I,
23: I don't Listen, Frank, you seem to be worried and concerned about going to prison. Don't worry. Thank Your you. Your radio audience is already there, and they will protect you. Wonderful. All right. Now, listen, Hong and Harder, people in the 40s and 50s and way back to nineteen hundred, Americans particularly were in love with machines, bending machines. And it was just one of the few things that I think people don't realize today. You could put money in. Twist the handle and get whatever you want and see it first. You did not have to talk to anybody. You can speak any language. And there were a lot of them in New York. Go in there, be anonymous. I'll tell you a funny story. I worked at the Daily News building for many years. I used the automat on 2nd Avenue and 42nd Street. There were two of them. I, the same I, block. I, I think, think it was 3rd Avenue was
2: and 42nd.
23: Maybe it was 3rd. Yeah, maybe 3rd. Yeah. So anyway. I worked upstairs for 10, 12, 15, 20 years, different companies, always a daily news And I used the Automat, breakfast, lunch, sometimes dinner. And one day I went in and the manager was standing by the door and I walked past him. And a guy was trying to get in and the manager said, you can't come in here. This is like, late 60s. So the guy said, why not? He said, you have a filthy raincoat. You haven't shaved in two weeks and you stink. The guy said, oh, okay, and he left.
2: So that's the that's the funny story?
23: Excuse me? No, the funny story was about you being protected and imprisoned by your radio
2: audience. Thank you, Rob. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Um, that was hilarious, I must say. Ellen is in Philadelphia. Hello, Ellen.
6: Hi, Frank. That's For a tough act sake. to
2: follow. I gotta, I gotta warn you, Alan well, You,
14: you gotta bring your A game
6: now. For goodness' sake, you know. All right, you know what? I, you know, I thought that, you know, that, um, that story about, um, the, um, the gangster from Boston. That was really interesting. I followed it, but you know, what I was, what I was calling about was, um, uh, uh, the automats You know. I, you know, we had this 12, I was, I was 12 years old. We had this sixth grade trip up to New York city out of Pennsylvania. And I lived for that place. That was wonderful. And, you know, we stopped at the UN, we stopped at the Guggenheim. And then uh, the one stop was at uh, the and Hardart in New York city. And I stepped off the bus and all these kids were running up to this, uh, but it was a, looked like a crappy, it was probably stolen. Uh, um, oh, brother. It was uh, a whole bunch of pretzels. And I thought, you know, I don't want that. That's dumb. And I got off, I was the last one off the bus. And this man came up with his cart and he said, Hi, would you like a, a, a what, what is it called? Um, a canish? I said, what's a canish? I was 12. I didn't know. Sure. He said, he rolled, he rolled his eyes. I said, <laughs> I said, well, okay. Well, what, you know, I don't know what's in it. it, you know, and how much is it? You just, you know, taste it. You'll like it. And I said, okay. And I gave him 50, 70, uh, 75 cents. It was really good. It was on a toothpick or something. And, you
2: know, it was like a pierogi. Oh, no, Knish is, uh, is terrific. Absolutely. Still one of my it's favorite good. street foods. Did you have a favorite auto menu item? I tried. Oh, for goodness sake. I tried, Frank,
6: I tried. I, I put, you know, I was in the, uh, I, was, I was looking at the thing, and I put, you know, the bunny in or whatever it was. I, I was trying to get lemon meringue pie. Mm. I wound up with a tuna
2: fish sandwich. Oh, my. So I could get that. I thought I could get that at home. Not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fair no, no. enough, Ellen. Fair enough. Hey, well, I well, hope that tuna yeah. was a satisfying dessert. You know what? You're, 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 you've got a great show.
6: I listen to you every night. You know, I, I cook and I, I listen to you and just thank you. That's all.
2: Well, there's no accounting for taste, Ellen. Thank you for listening no, no all better. the way in Philly. Uh-oh. Appreciate it. Bye, Darren. Bye. Take care. Eight hundred eight four eight. W-A-B-C, that's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 Jay is in Cincinnati. Hello, Jay.
12: Excellent show, Frank. You tell it like it is. Thank you. Payback time was a bummer for Whitey Bulger. Oh,
2: clearly, but, and again, I, I, I'm not rooting for um, Whitey Bulger or any criminal, but um, when you are sent to prison you and you're not given the death penalty, you have an expectation that you're not going to be
12: murdered. Exactly. No protective custody for Whitey Bulger. Indeed. You tell it like it is, Frank. Thank you. Hey, I'm an Ohio boy, but my mom's from Brooklyn. My dad's from Irvington. They grew up on Long Island. We came back for the World's Fair, 1964. Got the fabulous whirlwind tour of the Big Apple, the Elevate subway downtown, the Empire State Building, and we stopped at the Automat. It was just amazing to a five-year-old kid.
2: Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's Uh, like magic. Everything's
12: just new and wonderful. What blew me away is going out with my grandfather in New Hyde Park, which was not far from the World's Fair. And by the side of the road was a milk vending machine. And uh, just everything was new and wonderful in New York to a kid. Going to Jones Beach, loved it all
2: yeah well, if the opportunity presents itself, Jay, I do recommend that you check out this documentary because uh it's really terrific, and the interviews that are in there, as I said, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Colin Powell, Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Elliot Gould, and then a lot of people that aren't necessarily household names but have a lot of interesting things to add. It's really a wonderful, wonderful piece eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 Elaine is in Riverdale. Hello, Elaine. Hi, Frank. I'm glad
24: to hear you got out your first date with your wife. You'll never forget it.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, thank you. It was actually our second date. Uh, We went out once for dinner, uh, but uh, we ended up getting into an argument uh, that uh, sort of uh, cast a pallor over the the dinner. This time I was smart enough to avoid any conversation topics that were potential red flags.
24: This is the one you're going to remember forever. However, regarding the Ordinat, that used to be my favorite place with my dad when we used to go see new releases in Times Square. Mm. We were a movie family. I grew up going to the movies almost every day before TV. And when we wanted to see on the large screen, we would head to Midtown. And then afterwards, it was for apple pie and hot chocolate at the Ordinat. What I want to tell you is. There's a movie with Cary Grant, Doris Day, Audrey Meadows, Jack, uh, you know, Jackie Gleason's wife and The Honeymooners. Mm-hmm. That's a rom-com, right? And it's from 1962. And the all on that is the co-star.
2: Yes, um, that's actually, it's called uh, That Touch of Mink, and it's featured, right. it's featured in the documentary. They have some great clips from that film, uh, That Touch of Mink.
24: That's one movie you can see several times, and it happens to be uh, pre-sexual harassment, you know? I mean, when when women see how women were treated back in those days, they're absolutely amazed.
2: Yeah, and that film, and thanks for mentioning it, uh, Elaine, and uh, I do recommend that you check out this documentary if you can. That film, uh, That Touch of Mink, you know who else is in it, in addition to everybody that uh, Elaine just mentioned? Dick Sargent who was one of the Darren Stevens on Bewitched and uh John Aston who of course is probably best known for playing Gomez Adams in The Adams Family John Aston is in that you know I just, I just realized I think John Aston is still alive I think we've got to try and get John Aston on the show and we better hurry up so I'm going to I'm going to work on that all right, eight hundred eight right, 800-848-9222. Carol is in New Jersey. Carol, I heard you uh, cheating on us with Mark Simone the other day. What's up with that? You, we need we need your loyalty to this radio station. No,
25: I understand that, but he was speaking about something that I was interested in. No, no, no. We need you. We need
2: you loyal to
15: Brian All Kilmeade. Right.
25: I promise I won't call him anymore. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I used to go to the automat. Quite a bit, the one on 3rd Avenue and 42nd. Yeah, and that one,
2: that one, and it's not far from where I am right now, that was actually the last automat in New York City.
25: Yeah, I know. I know. I used to go there with friends from work, and we used to go usually on payday to have lunch there. But Mel Brooks is right. The desserts are really, were really, really good there.
2: Yeah, I think they um look, they have one Automat in Jersey City that I have not been to, but I think they oh. also have one in um in the Village and I I'm not sure how true it is to what what it was like in yeah. in those days. I think the one in Jersey City is more app-based and it's less about Putting coins in, but I, I I messaged my wife when I saw that they still have one in Jersey City uh, that we we should I'd go and check, check it out. That
25: out yeah, because I don't live that
2: far away yeah. from Jersey City. Yeah, maybe oh, I'll, I'll maybe I'll see ma- it out. maybe we'll see mm-hmm. you over there, Carol. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Gracie is in Rockland. Hello, Gracie.
26: Hiya, Frankie. Listen, I have wonderful memories of the automat during the fifties, going with my grandfather. My grandmother, my mother, we used to go come down to, from the Bronx and we used to either go to Radio City or the Roxy for the Easter and Christmas show. And then we would go to the Automat and I would have the beef pie, you know, the chicken pot pie, but I would have the beef pot pie. And back then it was 35 cents. Oh, really? Believe it. And it was, well, um, you know, this is the 50s. And I, I it was just. Such wonderful memories um, of of the time with my grandparents, and it was just a a beautiful thing. But I'm interested that there's still one in Jersey City. Well,
2: yeah, it opened, I think, just last year. It's in the Newport Center Shopping Mall. And, you know, if you think about it, with with COVID, that inspired and the whole, you know, the shutdowns and the lockdowns and everybody's so focused on disease and germs. That inspired a whole new wave of revival attempts uh, because of the desire for contactless dining, so you had um, these fellas Joe Scadolero and Bob Baydale, they opened an automat kitchen in Jersey City uh, just about a year ago and it uses similar to technology to uh, to what you know what they offer back in the day but and it specializes in. Fresh food. Now there's also a place called the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop, which uses uh automat technology, but it's it's just dumplings. It's not the same kind of food that they served uh, back at uh, Horn and Hardock.
26: Frank Frank? Yes. Oh, good. I wasn't sure if I was still on. And then there used to be a Horn and Hardock cake shop. In the Port Authority, I yeah. remember that, yeah. and we used to, you know, come down from the Bronx. We didn't have a car. We buy stuff and then take the bus out to Jersey to see my father's cousin. And all wonderful memories with the horn and eye. Yeah,
2: again, and, and when you get an opportunity, Gracie, I suggest you check out this documentary because it does get into the retail business as well. Uh, for that, George is in Mount Sinai. Hello, George.
27: Hi, how are you? There was an independent automat on King's Highway in Brooklyn, near where I grew up. It was called Dubrow's. It was independent. I'm sure Sidney Rosenberg and his family must have gone there. Curtis and his family must have gone there. It brings back a lot of memories. But I really wanted to talk about Andrew Cuomo, if you will allow me.
2: Yeah, be my guest. It's your dime, George. Go ahead.
27: Okay. I'm an old-time court clerk. That doesn't really mean anything. Just to tell people, I don't know if they're interested about the Grievance Committee, which I used to be a little involved with. There are four departments in New York State. It's called the Grievance Committee of the Appellate Division. It usually goes by where you were admitted to law school. Like Mayor Giuliani, was, in, I think he went to NYU, and I think he, which covers Manhattan, which is in the first department. That's why when they suspended him, <coughs> pardon me, they suspended him in the first department, which is terrible, but I'm not talking about that. I don't know where Letitia, Letitia James went to law school. I don't know what department – it would be in the department she went to law school.
2: Well, they filed in Albany.
27: That's where she went to – that means – I don't know, but if you Google it – Yeah, uh, she, she got have, her
2: uh, she got her law degree at Howard University in Washington, D.C.
27: Right, but she she must have been admitted when she came to New York State. She must have been admitted in the right. Albany. Uh, uh,
2: okay, George, at, so w- what's your point about this specific complaint?
27: doesn't have a prayer in the world to win uh, to to win the grievance he's doing this you disagree with me you went about that I knew for 1,000 percent he can't run against her Leticia James because I know him and I know the family a little bit I worked in Queens court for 30 something years he has a big ego whether he's a nice guy or not he's not going to run for something that he already held he can't run against the governor because he, <clears throat> he wore out his welcome with the legislature. You know today in the news that the other senator, Gillibrand, has backed <coughs> Hokum for governor. Yeah, well,
2: I certainly don't see him running against Hokum. I mean, oh, petitioning no, starts in the way.
27: You could have Dominic call the powers to be in Queens. Akeem Jeffries, uh, yeah, but, uh, all the other powers. You're right?
2: arguing something that I didn't, never said. He's not going to run for governor.
27: OK, but I'm saying he's going to run for senator. You think he's going
2: to run for Senate this year?
27: No, I don't know when the terms are up. Well, this he's year. He's going to run against Gillibrand. Yeah, so he Schumer's
2: up point. for re-election this year.
27: Who's Here's the play, I think. And you could have Dominic call. No, uh, well, forget Gregory about Dominic. Mates. So I'm
2: Schumer's up for re-election this year. You think Cuomo's going to run against Schumer this year?
27: Um, let me just finish it. I'll hang up.
2: No, no. Well, I, have a conversation with me. Don't hang up.
27: Okay. He is hoping that Schumer is no longer the majority leader, which will diminish his power. I don't know how to, how old Chuck Schumer is. He's hoping Ocasio come, goes into the race. He will go into the race uh, also and try to eke out a victory. He's always wanted to go to the federal government, back to the federal government. I believe 100% – it just all predicates that the Republicans win the majority in the Senate. I know,
2: but listen, listen, George. The – the if the Republicans win the majority in the Senate, which I think is more likely than not, that's going to happen in November. So right. then there wouldn't be an opportunity to run against Schumer until the year 2028. You think he's going to wait around six years?
7: I, I don't know that. I
27: don't
2: think so. And, but and, I think and Schumer they, would be 77 by 2028.
27: I don't know that. Yeah, yeah so I uh,
2: there's no chance that happens. Let me let me state unequivocally: there's not very little chance. There's no chance that happens. None. No chance. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Hey, we got the thousand dollar minute coming up quick, but Dara in Saratoga has been patiently waiting. Let me get her comment, and then uh, we'll get to the thousand dollar minute. Dara is in Saratoga. Hey. Morning, Frank. Morning. So in the
25: Palin case. I understand the judge's ruling was an answer to a a defense's preliminary motion that he decided to answer while the jury was out, being that if they came back with it, it would nullify his, his answer to the, you know, he'd still have to answer that. I'm not a lawyer, but that's what I understood. Uh, and Palin she 's kind of a media whore, so she 's too tedious. Um, her only you know vie is to go to the Supreme Court and get more publicity for whatever reality show she 's plugging next. But I do have some interesting uh, on the Bulger case some interesting six degrees trivia, so Bernie Carrick was in Cumberland Federal in prison with a Massachusetts state uh, police officer who worked on the Bulger case as a high ranking investigator. And they arrested the state police officer in relation to his girlfriend's drug case. Now, this is interesting. This detective was so incensed by his arrest and the whole Bolger issue that he wrote a book on it, still yet unpublished. So I think that is an interesting twist that Massachusetts puts people where they need them.
2: Just a little trivia for you. Well, that is interesting. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, So somebody just messaged me that the Automat Kitchen in Jersey City is closed permanently. I didn't know that. Uh, they just opened last year. So according to the user Stu um, on Facebook, he messaged me at facebook.com slash fan. He says they're closed. I didn't know that. So uh, I will double-check that. This is unconfirmed. All right. Now, let me take you back in time to yesterday. We were playing the $1,000 Minute. 24 hours ago, and this is what transpired. Pope Elevated to
4: Sainthood.
11: Uh, uh, pope John.
2: Uh, unfortunately, Ooh. the last Catholic Pope Elevated to Sainthood was Pope John Paul II. So,
5: fortunately. Oh, I, I said Pope John.
2: Well, no, but Pope John... Is different than John Paul II. There's a Pope John. There's like John the 23rd, um, who's you know a recent Pope, and then there's John Paul the uh, the, the second, which is a little. Different. Are you Catholic, Tom? Yes, I am. Oh, well, then you should have definitely got that. Now I stand by that. That that's an incorrect response. However, Tom has got some friends in high places because John Matides, the owner of our radio station, the host of the Cats at Night show, said, "Look." The guy was close. He got screwed. Give him another opportunity. So, we have tracked down Tom and we're going to give him another chance to play the $1,000 minute straight ahead.
4: WABC.
1: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC.
4: day, 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 daylight come and me want Work all night, and a drink a rum. Daylight come and me want go. Stop. Banana the, come, the banana
2: boat song. Now everybody knows Harry Belafonte is singing here, come and he's doing a great job. Man, but do you know who banana. wrote this song? This is not going to be on the thousand dollar minute. But I'm gonna, I'm about to blow your mind. I'm gonna shock you and tell you who wrote this song. You know who wrote this song? Alan Arkin.
4: Alan Arkin, the actor.
2: Um. From Argo, from Little Miss Sunshine. He won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for Little Miss Sunshine. He wrote this song. He and two other people. It's also, of course, in The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming with uh, the great Carl Reiner. Uh, But uh, a fine song, uh, nonetheless. All right. We have tracked down yesterday's participant, who some believe was wrongly ruled against on the question of who was the last pope, the last Catholic pope, to be beatified. Uh, and I was a little amazed at the level of controversy in the Facebook group over this question. People are saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't uh, go along with what John Katsimatidis says about this. And I'm I'm just bewildered. One, ultimately, any money the station gives away, it's not my money, it's John Katsimatidis' money. So if he, if he says somebody else should have an opportunity, then that person gets an opportunity. Boom, that's it. All right, it is time for
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents. It's the $1,000 Minute. Just answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win
19: $1,000. Here's your host,
1: Frank Murano.
2: And we are going to say hello again to Tom. Tom, this is a pretty rare opportunity you've been blessed with. I hope you make the most of it.
27: I uh, I I feel honored uh, to have been uh, uh, given second uh, second life by Mister Castamatis.
2: Absolutely, second bite of the apple. Don't don't make us look dumb here now, Tom. All right, uh, I'm not going to bother explaining the rules to you. You ready to go? Uh, yes, yes. All right. How many months are in a year? Twelve. Who is the current governor of New Jersey? Murphy. What team won the Super Bowl this year? Oh, the Rams. Who composed the U.S. National Anthem?
18: Uh, Francis Scott Keyes.
2: What former New York congressman is co-hosting a show Saturday afternoons with Curtis Sliwa?
11: Oh, a wiener.
2: What pet do my wife and I have three of? Cats. In A Christmas Carol, how many ghosts visit Ebenezer Scrooge? Three. Unfortunately, not, Tom. It was uh, four. Uh, You had uh, Jacob Marley, uh, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. Uh, So, unfortunately, that is an incorrect response, uh, Tom. But a good guess, nonetheless. You were only one off. We tried. We it, tried exactly. All right. Well, you did well. You got up to question seven, which is more than uh, than a lot of folks do. And we already are, have a, a consolation prize in the works for you. So we're not sending you. A, we're not giving you another one. But uh, uh, but hopefully, hopefully you'll use this as a as a learning opportunity.
11: Well, I uh, I'm trying. I'm trying.
2: Or at least use it as an opportunity to reread some Charles Dickens.
27: Well, I, 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 sp- I spent yesterday watching old uh, Jeopardy reruns. There you go.
2: There you go. A man after my own heart. All right, Tom. Uh, it's good to talk to you again, and uh, I'll look forward to chatting with you again soon.
7: You too, my friend. Be Thank well. you
2: very much. Best to everybody. Uh, all right. So there you go. He had his opportunity. Question was, how many ghosts did Scroo- visit, visited Scrooge? Answer is four. I don't want any controversy. I don't want people saying it's three. It's four. Um, and he got six correct and lost on the seventh, so that means I'll have to write out six or seven new questions. Somebody said on Friday, "Oh, Frank should read all the questions when somebody gets it wrong," and then in the Facebook group. And I love the debates that go on in the Facebook group. And if you want to join, just go on Facebook and search "Morano Radio Fans and Haters." That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. Somebody correctly pointed out, "Well, yeah, if people don't get the all the questions, if people don't get the questions right, then they just reuse those for tomorrow." That's true. Uh, We do use those for the next day. And uh, the more someone gets right, the more questions I then have to come up with. So uh, let me say hello to Corey, who's been patiently holding. Hello, Corey. Good morning, Frank.
11: Good morning. Uh,
23: Two things. Whitey Bulger, I say live by the sword, die by the sword. I don't feel so sorry.
2: I don't feel sorry for him either. But I don't like the message this sends to the Bureau of Prisons. The Bureau of Prisons looks at this, Corey, and they start drooling. Uh, they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean uh, we, judges can't interfere with wherever we send people? Um, they're going to send people that they want to be done away with, whether it's Epstein, hypothetically, whether it's Bulger, right. whether it's whomever. They're going to send them to the most dangerous prisons possible, so that they're beaten up and/or killed. And I don't like that this judge basically said that that's at least legally okay. I have no sympathy for the guy. The guy
14: was I agree uh, brutal I agree
23: criminal. with that as well.
2: Uh, anything <clears throat> else you
23: yeah,
14: wanted to add, Corey? I agree with that.
23: Uh, yes, uh, Andrew Elias Cuomo, King Kingomo the second son of Mario Facha Bruta, King Cuomo the first. I think that. He resigned uh, in um, an attempt to re-strategize, and uh, he is a professional politician, and he's dealing with amateurs. And we will surely see him on the stage again.
2: I, I think you're. Or I think you're probably right, Corey. I I don't know what his next move will be, but I think you're probably right. So uh, my wife and I finally saw, you know, we 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 we're. It's very difficult to watch a movie these days, as those of you that are parents and have been parents of a young child, no. Uh, but we finally saw a film called Tick Tick Boom. It's a a musical drama film. It's actually directed by Lin Manuel Miranda, and it stars uh, Andrew Garfield as um as a real life um musical person named Jonathan Larson. It's a semi-autobiographical story about Larson entering the world of musical theater. Uh, Jonathan Larson is probably best known for writing Rent. And uh, Garfield is actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor. So now is the season when I try to see all the Academy Award-nominated motion pictures. I I don't think I'm going to be able to see them because it took us no exaggeration – Five or six different sittings to finish one whole two-hour movie. I said to my wife after we finished, and, and over the course of a week, maybe more, and I said to my wife after we finished the film yesterday, I said, oh, how did you like it? And she said, you know, honestly, I don't know. Because I, we stopped it and restarted it so many times, it's difficult for me to keep track of... Uh, the the narrative uh this and that and you know and i kind of agree with her so i don't know that i'm the best judge but i really i like this picture i didn't love it uh, i liked it the music is very good the acting is good i i must admit i did not know much about the life or the career of jonathan larson so it was interesting to me to learn about this fella who was such uh you know you know who did play such a role in a, a show like rent so um, I think if you like musical theater, you're probably really going to enjoy it, although my sister didn't like it. she She's a, a fan of musical theater, and she said she found nothing happens, that there, there was nothing happening the whole time. That wasn't my experience. I think if you like musical theater, you're really going to enjoy it, and um, there are certainly worse films. Is it the best way to spend your two hours? I don't know. Maybe. But um, it is available on Netflix for free. So if you have Netflix and you subscribe to Netflix, you can watch it for free. And if you're like me and you're trying to work your way through the, you know, through all the Oscar nominees, that's one film that you don't have to pay for to see. It's on Netflix. Tick, tick, boom, it's called. It's based on a stage musical of the same name, which, as I alluded to, was semi-autobiographical on the part of the writer Jonathan Larson. And I I will say, Andrew Garfield, who played Spider-Man previously and was in that movie The Social Network, he sings very well, assuming this is his singing. He does a great job. And uh, I think uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda does a fine job uh, directing. I don't think he's in it at all himself. I didn't notice any cameos, uh, but uh, he does a fine job directing this as well. 800 uh, 848 9222 Jeffrey is in Queens. Hello.
5: Hello, Frank. How are you, sir?
2: I am have, doing just dandy. Got
5: an automatic story for you. But. Must have been nineteen sixty nine, seventy, I was around know, thirteen, fourteen, seventy one. The family had to go to um family counseling with Queens had to drive to Manhattan to for family counseling because my one of my sisters unfortunately was born, born with schizophrenia. I'm sorry. So okay, so we had to slap in and I hated it of course I was too young, you know, I was thirteen, fourteen, but we went to the automatic on fifty seventh and sixth and the windows you put, that, that was always that was a very unique thing for a child to see. But we got this. They also had a cookie, a hot grill, and Dad and I would get the uh, ham, the hamburger. They called it a steak of some sort. And this is before we knew to like hold back on salt. <laughs> I have this image of putting so much salt on this hamburger, but like, I got to tell you Frank, it was the best tasting. here it was the, it, you know of course this is a romantic thing to say it was sure. the best tasting hamburger I ever had in my life you know
2: yeah, well, they say the food was pretty good and uh and uh, they say it was uh, a very good quality food it wasn't cheaply made at all uh Jeffrey, so I appreciate you sharing that eight hundred eight four eight w a b c Larry's in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Oh, hi.
17: Frank, I just want to say I'm
8: indebted to you because you brought, with the, when I heard about the automatic, you brought back memories of very early in life. Uh, my father used to be a clerk in the Supreme Court, and uh, occasionally he would bring me to work with him downtown Brooklyn. And this is going back when I'm like, maybe six years old, seven years old. And every time, and we were kosher, so he had to go to selective places so the automat would have very often you know simple things like tuna fish and you know uh, peanut butter and jelly he was wasn't like ultra ultra kosher but it was you know so we were able to eat there and uh, you know i fought with my father bitterly later in life but that was a time of life when everything was was bucolic i was young and you know there was no disagreements or anything and you really opened up a window to my past where i can now reconcile things and i'm i'm really indebted to you
2: well, uh, you're not indebted to me, Larry, but uh, if uh, I appreciate that. I will take back your debt payment in listenership. So just keep listening and keep spreading the word. Hey, if you ever want to help us out, the best thing you could do is subscribe to the podcast. Uh, just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on any podcast app. Hit the subscribe button and encourage other people to do the same. Um, if you can get us some more podcast subscribers, that's a big help. If you could follow me on uh, Facebook and Twitter, that's a big help. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash MoranoFan, and uh, on Twitter at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Meantime, 15 seconds of fame. Next, you can be heard on any subject for 15 seconds. You want to comment on anything we've covered today or anything you'd like to say in general, now's the time. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
4: WABC.
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, Time now for you to be heard for 15 seconds. Three open lines if you want to jump on board. 800-848-9222 because it is indeed time
1: for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of fame. Fame.
2: John is in Manhattan. Hello, John. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Right, very economical use of your 15 seconds at 800-848-9222. Neil in Staten Island, hello. Carmine
20: oh, is so handsome. I want to open up a fertility clinic in Tokyo, Japan. How much will you pay me to work for me?
2: 800 <laughs> wabc Larry in Brooklyn.
20: Whatever happened to the old phrase,
18: the buck stops here? The recent horrific. Crimes that have been committed in Manhattan, and the robbery, the murder of the 35-year-old, the robbery in Ninos—all inspired by Alvin Brent, Kathy Hochul, Governor Hochul,
2: Jay in Cincinnati.
12: Who day? It's the Rams' day. But we'll be back.
2: Mark in Westchester.
18: Yes, sir. Happy birthday to my older daughter, Fallon, 20 years old, the love of my life. On the dean's list again at college. Irish power
2: forever, Fallon. We love you. Congratulations and happy birthday to her. Seems like Mark has a lot of daughters that always have birthdays. Baina hello. Yes,
26: I've always thought it unethical to ask someone during an interview uh, what they're earning. And finally, uh, Letitia James, our attorney general, uh, has uh, helped a great deal to make sure that it is unethical to ask what a person is earning. Pete
2: in Tribeca. Sizzle, moron, sizzle, moron, cisar moron.
4: Evelyn in Bayonne. Frank, you brought that memories into New York. There used to be shrafts, zoom,
26: zoom, and chock full of nuts. It was like a family atmosphere.
2: Chris in Mount Vernon. Hey, I want to give a shout-out to my wife, Maribel. Love you, baby. Love you, Alessia. Christopher,
15: thank you. Love I'm, the
2: show. That's very nice, Chris. And uh, I will join you in uh, giving that shout-out to your wife, although I don't know your wife personally. Uh, So I can't say that I love her. But uh, if she listens to this show, then I do love her. And uh, I I love everybody that listens to this show. All right. That about slams the lid on things for today. The WABC Early News with Deb Valentine coming up next. Bernie and Sid coming up from 6 until 10. They've got a great show. I'm going to be back at 1 a.m. Hey, you know what we're going to do tomorrow at 1 a.m.? We're going to get into this... proposal for a a new constitutional convention. It's pretty interesting. It's actually picked up some steam. I'll tell you about that, and uh, I have some other interesting things planned for you as well. You want to stay in touch in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. I hope you have a great day. Frank Morano, good day.